This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday to you. Top of the morning to you. And, by the way, it's uh, it's not just any day. There's uh, there's a special holiday today. It is clean off your desk day. Hmm. Hmm. So that's what I do during the break, right? You clean off your desk. During the holiday break, you get rid of all the junk. Then you can start what, anew. What if there's nothing on your desk? Yeah, your desk is pretty clean. Well, it's not really my desk. Well, maybe we need to make your desk messier. Should I give you... Let's do more paperwork. You have to have a desk to mess up. Yeah. Yeah, they keep, t- they keep taking Jeff's desk. They gave me a corner and a coloring book. <laughs> They're like, shh, be quiet. But don't Just be offended stay, by that. Stay within the lines. <laughs> don't make any noise. A lot of co-opting oh, wow. of desks in this building. I know. Well, you guys, it's yeah, fine. they have to rotate you. And I, I only need a desk for the, the period of time I'm here. Most of the time I'm in here, not even at my desk. I know. Maybe you don't even need a desk. Maybe you just need a laptop. Mm. Now, that'd be nice. Yeah. Huh. Put in a request. No, because then it'd be like your laptop, and you got to yeah. call somebody every time there's an update to a program. Yeah. But it's good. That's annoying. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> hey, happy Monday to you, and happy clean off your desk day. Mm. Great chance to just, you know, straighten up, do your paperwork, get your, your year-end reviews done, your development plans ready. Yeah. All that fun. Uh, we'll be talking about um, Meryl Streep. She mm. kind of she she went off a little bit, a little bit. And uh, apparently, Hollywood's not very you know into Donald Trump. No way. Yeah. New news. And, and he responded this morning. Yeah, he did. Yeah, which is you know something he should worry about. Did he congratulate her on her award? No, no. I think she thought she was like a mediocre actress. Something about being overrated. Overrated. That was yeah. it. Yeah. So we'll get Donald Trump's view of the Golden Globes. And by the way, La La Land ran away with a bunch of the awards. Someone said that last week that it was going to happen. I'm not sure who it was. It broke the record for most wins for any movie. Well, again, it's a Hollywood – it's a movie about Hollywood. Right. So they love it. I was referring to you. Yeah. And isn't there a bunch of Trump bashing in the movie too? No. No. They're just just dancing on cars. But that is kind of – you know. That's inappropriate. Well, cars are Americans. America's history, our pastime. Right. Don't our, mess with our, our pastime cars. or cars. Yeah. All right. Good times. We'll get to all of that fun. Um, plus, of course, uh, some of the the headlines about Russia. I mean, Donald's still talking about Russia and their influence. He just doesn't. We got to ask Joe this: Is has anybody really, with any credibility, said? That Russia's influence actually turned the election. No, they've said that it hasn't. It hasn't. So they said that he they, can relax. Right. He should now, relax. The problem is they tried to influence the process, and we should probably try to do something to stop that yeah, in the sure. future. Yeah. But yeah, they're they're conflating both of them with somehow you're trying to delegitimize my win. Right. And that's not what's happening. And they've and they, so said they could that ju- over he over. should just be arguing. Okay, let's let's just agree that this didn't impact my win well he shouldn't even talk about it because that's not the issue well but he's 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 actually saying he's trying he's saying the opposite that we shouldn't be paying attention to the russians well yeah 
and we should. But they did influence an election, but didn't turn the election. We'll get to all that fun. Joe Cannon will be touching on that. But first, to Terry South with all the headlines. Terry, what's going around the, on around the country? The Senate's aggressive schedule of confirmation hearings for President-elect Donald Trump's high-level nominees is of great concern and may mean deliberations begin without resolution of some candidates. Potentially unknown or unresolved ethics issues, the Office of Government Ethics said in a letter to the Senate leadership on Friday. The Trump team did not clear any of its selections with the OGE in advance, so many ethics reviews are still underway. At this point, President Obama's transition process in 2009, eight of the 15 cabinet nominees had already been reviewed and were ready for the confirmation hearings. Currently, just four of Trump's choices have uh, passed the OGE's approval. Soon-to-be Chief of Staff Reince Priebus argued on Fox News Sunday that because the nominees are people that have been highly successful in their lives, their confirmation hearings should take priority over background checks. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So is this the same office they tried to shut down a couple a week ago? Um Possibly, not okay. sure. There's a lot of a lot of labels and initials yeah. and stuff OGE. like that going around. President-elect Donald Trump now accepts the conclusion of the FBI, NSA, and CIA that the Russian government hacked Democratic targets in an attempt to influence the American presidential election. Incoming White House Chief of Staff Reince Priebus said on Sunday. Trump is not denying that the entities in Russia were behind this particular hacking campaign, Priebus said in an interview on Fox. Priebus also reported that Trump has asked U.S. intelligence agencies for recommendations on how to respond to the hacks depending on their input. Actions may be taken. Mm. Now, again, this is someone saying Trump says instead of Trump saying. Yeah. Which would probably be helpful. Right. But either way. Clarify that. It's all there. In addition, an additional 300 U.S. troops will be sent to Afghanistan to assist local forces in fighting the Taliban. This from Brigadier General Roger Turner. He told uh, reporters in a conference call over the weekend, we're viewing this as a high-risk mission. Turner said, we are not in any way viewing this as a non-combat mission or something to take lightly. This is the first time Marines will be in the Hemlin province since President Obama declared combat operations in Afghanistan complete Ooh. in the end of 2014. Uh, so, mm, not quite. Just a few weeks before he's leaving, right? Yeah, but there's 8,400 U.S. troops have been active in the country through 2016. Yeah. So active combat is over, but we're still there. Well, it reminds me of mission over, right? Mission yeah. is done. Mission accomplished. George Bush. Right. Hmm. And also, uh, meanwhile, the military will also increase its presence in Eastern Europe. U.S. Air Force Lieutenant General uh, General what, Tim Ray, Deputy Commander of U.S. European Command, announced Sunday we're sending more troops. We just put in a bunch of uh, equipment. We're wow. staffing up Eastern Europe, and so was Russia. So. But it's all friendly. I thought we that. weren't ever sending anyone back there. Oh, it's this is different. Okay, just checking. We'll find out how they spin that. And finally, on January 9th, mm-hmm. 2007. Ten years ago? Yes. Okay. Steve Jobs introduced the iPhone. Did he really? He did. Ten years ago? Ten years ago today. Look at what it has changed. He introduced it as a new 3-in-1 product, a widescreen iPod with touch controls, a revolutionary mobile phone, and a breakthrough internet communications device. That was back when you used your iPhone as a phone. Right. Mm-hmm. When you made phone calls. Yeah. July 27th, 2016, they sold the one billionth iPhone. Just wow. over the summer. So. I mean, that is amazing. Ten years ago, introduced some silly little thing, the iPhone. Who would have thunk that it would have destroyed so many teenagers' lives that are now incapable of talking or socializing in any other way. Yes. They can only speak in characters, emojis. 
tragic loss. Yes. Ten <laughs> years. Epic fail. It only took ten years to destroy the world. That's cool. I love my iPhone. Man, I love my iPhone. We're very close. We go everywhere together. So it's destroyed your life, too. Oh, yeah. Okay. We, uh, I got my wife to watch The Crown. And? We're liking it a lot. There, there you go. It's their most expensive TV show ever made on Netflix. That's it really? That's what they That's the documentary about uh, dentist's I... office, right? Uh-huh. Where you yeah. get a crown and... Mm-hmm. My, I didn't think she'd be into that, you mm. know, like all the drilling. A lot, but, of, d- lot of Muzak and... <laughs> dental drama. Da, 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 da. Um, yeah, it's a great show. Do you have insurance with it? <laughs> really, the crown, they won an award last night. Two, at least. Did it? Well, it won best... Uh, Mini series or limited series or whatever, and then uh, best dental feature. Yes, the queen. Nice the bridge. queen won a Golden Globe. She's amazing. She really is. Uh, but I, I'm learning a lot about Prince Philip. I didn't know that I wanted to know. Right. He is a key figure in this show. Yeah, he is. He yeah. sleeps in the nude. Uh huh. What's yeah. that about? And then the king interrupts it, and you're like, "Whoa, hey, <laughs> what's going on in here?" It's strange. Um, by the way, I, I didn't watch. I didn't watch the Golden Globes. I don't have that channel right now. Oh, don't you? My my my. Uh, oh yeah. My yeah. service is currently in a, spew, a, dispute, a dispute with, with a local, local. Mm-hmm. channel, and so so we'll have to trust Jeffrey because yeah. I'm sure Jeffrey watched it. You know, I forgot they were on. Did you? But I know all the winners. Okay. See, but, but uh, La La Land. Sure, Sherlock debuted last night on PBS. Wasn't it? Is it back? It was a week before, wasn't it? Well, I don't know. They replayed all the episodes. I watched them last night. I love La La Land, seven wins, most wins of any movie ever. Which is interesting because I saw La La Land with some of my boys. Mm-hmm. And they thought it was really just worth one law, not two. Mm. Just hmm. La Land. So they only rated it one law. Okay. Would they have given it a blah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Blah, mm. la, la land. They didn't get it. They didn't. It just kind of went right over their head. But you brought up a good point. Anything that celebrates Hollywood or pats itself on oh, the back, that's they're why. gonna they're going to award. Well, it. and how hard they've got it. They've got a very hard life. Hollywood's a hard life because it's hard to be a waiter for thirty years. Wanting to be an actor for those that were suffering, which is what La La Land's kind of not a waitress. I can't remember their job. I have no idea what the movie's but, about. Oh yeah, you haven't seen it. Um, but um, they started singing, and I went, "Ah, well, you know." Whew. Well, and this brings us to an important point because yes. Meryl Streep even invoked the fact that now Hollywood is kind of on the outs. Yes, and there was one performance this year that stunned me. It, it sank its hooks in my heart. Not because it was good. It was, there was nothing good about it. It was that moment when the person asking to sit in the most respected seat in our country imitated a disabled reporter, someone he outranked in privilege, power, and the capacity to fight back. When the powerful use their position to bully others, we all lose. Yeah. There you go. Now, many have cried and said that Hollywood has been bullying middle America, mainstream America for a long time, mm. sending them things they don't want to watch. You don't have to. Shows that should never have been produced. You just move on and just don't pay attention. So Certain series. I feel like I might have been abused by La La Land. Yeah, you, you, your wife, I think. My wife liked it. A lot of people loved it. And as I you, tell my wife, yeah. for the sake of, you know, 
us. Mm-hmm. You have a sister. Have fun. <laughs> hey, <laughs> sisters are four. So you've seen La La Land. Yeah. Have either of you seen Hidden Fences? No. No. Apparently there was a reporter at the Golden Globes interviewing Pharrell Williams, who did the soundtrack yeah. for uh, Hidden Figures. Okay. Yeah. Asked him how he was going to celebrate Hidden Fences. Yeah. And then Michael Keaton got up later in the evening, too, and announced Hidden Fences. Really? So everybody took to, everybody took to Twitter, yeah. and uh, you conspiracy. know, they said, "Oh, it, it's just like a white person to combine two black movies and see them as the same." So we've got How Stella, people. yeah. So they were combining all these movie titles, and it was kind of funny. <laughs> you know, when's this going to end? Can't we all just get along? It's going to end in about two hours and. 42 minutes. Yeah. But who's counting? <laughs> Just the listeners. Hey, um, so should Meryl Streep be making such a political discussion at a Golden Globe event? Okay. Seems like seems like not the She's place. She's been political all year. She was backing yeah. a bunch of different policies against I – mean, not policies, yeah. but different uh, – who was she backing? It was. Um, it wasn't the Libertarian. It was a Jill Stein. Was, uh, she was working, it Jill Stein? Or yeah. was she with the, the Green Party? I can't remember which can't one. Remember. She wasn't with Hillary. She was. They. Or um, was she with Bernie? She was did with you hear Bernie. what Kellyanne Conway said about this whole thing? No, but I can imagine. She said, "Wow, I didn't know that Meryl Streep was so into protecting the rights of the disabled, because she didn't hear her say anything about the the beating on live Facebook." From four teenagers in Chicago of a mentally challenged child. Right. Didn't hear anything about it from Meryl. Does Meryl need to include everything that's happened in the last everything. 72 hours? Here we go. And this is the battle. <laughs> Hollywood. And so you wonder, is it just going to get worse? And then and then yeah. Donald beat up Meryl. And then, she, then he comes out at 6 a.m. And instead of probably just letting it go because who cares, he decides to jump in. And- but she made a really good point because it was like it's the highest position in the world – and, and and as I'm watching the Queen or what's it called the Crown, yes, I'm learning a lot that you it, you have to honor the position. Yes, but you know some would argue that Donald, that's not the real Donald, and that he's lying just to get into the White House. Doesn't Meryl Streep make a living from lying in order to get awards? Well, she's upfront about it. Yeah, she knows. Everyone knows. She's not saying one thing and changing positions a few months later. She's. An actor. <laughs> and apparently Meryl Streep, she lost her voice here, but she killed it at Carrie Fisher's memorial service. She sang a song. Really? I didn't know that. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I read it and I thought, wow, I didn't know. And then I remembered she was the mama. She sang in Mamma Mia. Hopefully not. She didn't sing as Florence Foster Jenkins, though, because that would have been no. a disaster. I don't think. I, I think. I don't know what song she sang, but it was something that Carrie Fisher would have loved. Hmm. Man, that went weird. Yeah. Um, what do you think about everybody is kind of weirded out? It seems like about the Russia deal. What about it? They just and they just went through the hearing or not the hearings, the intelligence reports. Uh-huh. And it's I'm not quite sure yet if Donald thinks Russia's a problem. If you look at the intelligence reports, they they actually say the. The NSA and the, see the FBI. It's the FBI, the NSA, and the CIA. The CIA and the FBI are all on board. They're all on board. The NSA is about eighty percent. Yeah, but and and you think the NSA that has you know all the uh, 
until all the electronic eavesdropping capabilities across the globe, they would have a better idea mm-hmm. than anybody else. Yeah. And they're about 80%. But so you've pretty much got everybody on board except Donald. And is this and this is what we're going to ask Joe. Is it simply because Donald is afraid that they're trying to delegitimize his presidency? That's what it sounds like. Sounds like it. So yeah. is there a way to tiptoe through that where Donald can accept that Russia intervened and – we can still say it didn't – he's, he's not an illegitimate president. It's not right. – it didn't win him, win him the election. That's got to be asked. I don't know. You got to quit dancing. This isn't La La Land for heaven's sakes. This is, this is the real deal. I don't want anybody to think I don't – I didn't love La La Land. I mean I, I didn't. But I, I like parts of it. You just don't like dancing and singing. I, do. I and actually do. I Ryan really, Gosling I really do. and Emma Stone. and I think they were great, too. You don't like Los Angeles. I don't know what it was. It just kind of kept going. Happiness. And maybe it was because my kids were there every five minutes saying, how much longer are they going to dance? Anyway, tons of fun. Stick with us, folks. Joe Cannon up next. Our Joe in the know. Our Washington insider is going to give us some insight into what to be looking for in the next uh, few days and months of the Trump presidency. Stick with us. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, it's Monday, and Monday means it's time to bring Joe in the know. And uh, Joe is our Washington insider, we call him. Really, he, he doesn't like that title. He just knows people and has a lot of great insight that we like to uh, to use to to understand better what's going on in Washington. He's he, he kind of helps decipher the code. We get a lot of Washington talk. Joe was uh, is a, was a past chairman of the Utah Republican Party. Was also a candidate for U.S. Senate. Served as an administrator in the EPA U.S. EPA underneath um, the Reagan administration. Also was editor of the Deseret Morning or the Deseret News. Um, so he's he's got it all. He's he's a media. He's in the know on the media, in the know in uh, Washington. But when it comes to Donald Trump and understanding Donald Trump, who knows what in the know means anymore? Uh, Joe, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Have you ever seen a person like Donald Trump in this president and in, in the presidency? I mean, who has had a personality like this? No, there's a legal expression called sui generis, meaning uh, the thing completely unique, a unique thing. <laughs> there it Donald is. Trump is definitely a unique thing. It's, it's. I mean, like last night, uh, Meryl Streep takes on Donald Trump and, and speaks, I think, for a lot of people that are just not in yet. They're not buying into it. They don't like him. Um, is what do you think? And then he gets up this morning and, and basically questions how good of an actress she is. How, does this ever end? Do you sense? Well, I mean, look at even last week. I mean, we're we haven't been on for a couple of weeks, but last week he starts the week out by uh, shooting bullets at Arnold Schwarzenegger for not uh, right. having as good a ratings as he had. And uh, of course, I think Schwarzenegger got the best of that one. Basically, very funny, you know, response saying, "Well, I, I hope you worry about." Uh, all the people as much as you're worried about your ratings. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. On a reality TV show. But, yeah, I mean, he is a uh, 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 shoot-from-the-hip guy, 
not, not sure everything he does is shoot from the hip, by the way, but uh, in certain areas, like, you know, when he's, when he's personally challenged, he will just, uh, you know, strike back through, through the famous Twitters. Right. Go off. Do you do you um, sense this is a big week? He's put his cabinet together and it actually put it together pretty quickly. And we had a guest on last week talking about the fact that it it parallels a lot of um, Eisenhower's kind of cabinet. Eisenhower had a lot of business successful people, uh, millionaires at the time. Today, Donald's going to have a lot of business success in his cabinet. Billionaires this time, and they're all going to the to Cowell or six of them, I think, this next week are going up to uh, the Senate to start their Senate hearings. How do you sense this is going to play out this week? Well, this week, I think you're going you're gonna to just see the hearings. You're going to see pretty routine votes. Uh, just recall that when President Obama became the president, uh, the Senate actually confirmed a bunch of his appointees on inaugur- by Inauguration Day. Wow. And I, th- I think that's the goal here by, by Mitch McConnell, of course, the goal by Senator Schumer, the minority leader, is to uh, thwart that. The, the biggest difference of all is the no filibuster rule, uh, courtesy of Senator Harry Reid. Right. Basically uh, wiped out the filibuster for uh, uh, nominees of very, for various things short of the, uh, of the uh, Supreme Court. So I think the, the Democrats simply don't have the toolkit that they had before. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you're going to see most of these people confirmed. I think the, the really interesting thing here, though, that what you're seeing play out is a very elaborate chess game by some real chess masters, meaning in particular Schumer and McConnell, uh, because, okay, you don't, they don't have the filibuster rule, but in one, one layer of analysis, you can say, look, they only need three Republicans to peel off three Republicans mm. to uh, to knock out uh, one of these um, one of these nominees. Let me just say in background, and this is honestly, I I don't want to re reinforce your view, but I actually have spoken with a number of uh, pretty serious Democrats, including one senator. Uh, they Schumer for all of Schumer's bluster, they know they cannot block many, if any, Hmm. of these nominees. So they're basically focusing on one or two. And lately, I guess I've heard they're just down to one, and that would be the uh, EPA nominee. Oh, Uh, really? Of all of them, the EPA? Because it seems like they came guns blazing and shooting up uh, Jeff Sessions. Yeah, yeah, but there's zero chance that Sessions is is not going to be confirmed. Okay, the Senate's behind him. Yeah, the Senate is going to be behind him. There is no chance that to break off. Well, we've said no chance so many times in the last year. I don't right. want to be pretty careful, but, but I am confident that uh, they're going to make a very big show of uh, the Democrats are going to make the biggest show they can of Sessions. But there is no chance that they're going to peel off three three Republicans mm. uh, on on that one. So really, uh, the EPA have, you're saying is is a is a pretty targeted one. Because well, EPA, EPA and states, uh, Rex Tillerson, the Exxon Mobil CEO, uh, because you have had some Republicans, well, at least one Republican, uh, John McCain, take shots 
at him and possibly, although I, don't, I haven't heard recently about Rand Paul, but Rand Paul wants to play a pretty big role in this. So you, you can have a slight chance there. But the real interesting part of the calculus is really the 2018 elections. And so I know it's crazy. We're talking about something, you know, it's going to happen less than two years from now. But, but still, to stop any one of these nominees, Schumer has to keep all 48 of his members of his caucus together. So all the 48 Democrats have to stick together and they have to get three Republicans to, uh, mm. to knock somebody out. Right. Well, when you start looking at his caucus, 25 of those 48 senators are up for reelection in 2018. Oh, boy. And more critical than that, 10 or so of them, well, let's say, just say the 25 Democrats and eight Republicans up, uh, something like 10 of those Democrats are in states where Trump just did incredibly well. Like reddish and states, huh? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to call them, they're not, not even reddish states. I mean, um, these are states, if you look at uh, a really good example would be um, West Virginia. Oh, wow. So West, West Virginia and, and Joe Manchin is a Democrat senator there. Uh, he's very popular in his state, but many Democrats have referred to him as the walking dead. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, Trump annihilated in West Virginia. Joe Manchin has been named to the Senate minority leadership. But he has already come out, for example, and said what a great guy Scott Pruitt is for EPA. Mm. So to save his job. Here, yeah. 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 And you've, you've got uh, Heidi Heitkamp from North Dakota. Right. Trump won that by 36 percent, and the Republican the Republican senator, kind of Hoven, interesting guy, but he he won his race by 68 percent. That doesn't mean he got 68 percent. He won it by he 60. Got, he got 79 percent. Holy and his cow! His opponent got 17. So you've got in these red states, and maybe it's worth going through just a bit. Yeah. In Indiana, you've got a Democrat up, Joe Donnelly, you know, fairly popular guy, but uh, it's a very, very red state. Uh, a new Republican senator just won by 10%. You've got Montana, kind of John Tester. Now, again, John Tester is very popular, but he uh, Trump won Montana by 21%. Mm. You've got Florida, where Rubio won his race by 8%. It was a much narrower victory, but Bill Nelson is up there. You've got Missouri. I won't go into the details of all these, but Missouri... Ohio, North Dakota, Wisconsin, wow. West Virginia, Pennsylvania. So it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So nine states that are very, uh, either somewhat or very, very Republican. So that's, and again, there are 25 Democrats up all together. Of the, of the eight Republicans who are up, only one of them is from a state that went for Hillary Clinton. And that's uh, Senator Heller from Nevada. Now, uh, but he's a very strong candidate, and he just decided he was going to run for the Senate again. He's the incumbent. But a lot of people were thinking he was going to run for governor but by saying he's going to run for the Senate. So he's the incumbent. He's a, he's a Latter-day Saint, a Mormon, in a state that one reason Harry Reid kept getting elected was because of the uh, the LDS vote there. Hmm. So there are, there, are, there are basically almost no vulnerable Republicans and a lot of vulnerable Democrats. So – and if he, 
he if he could peel those off, then I, I it would give him, I guess, the filibuster proof uh, oh, yeah. majority. There's a, yeah. Now, there's a chance that uh, Republicans just need to pick up eight. And, uh, that's that's a lot, but you can see that there are boy eight, eight plausible. Uh, victories there, but would give so, a so, immense power as if as if Trump doesn't already have enough power. It would give him both houses. It would give him everything he wants. Yeah, then there'd be no way to stop any legislation. Remember now, the filibuster has sort of it's already well, now, now right. three components to it. You've got to um, get sixty senators to pass legislation. I don't hear anybody talking about getting rid of the filibuster on legislation. I mean, there are a lot of Republicans who like that idea. But the Supreme Court is a very different story. Uh, when you when, when that nominee comes out, which, which I expect to come out at least by January 20th, if not right on to the 20th, I think, I think uh, President, President-elect Trump is going to announce that. Well, technically, the filibuster rule applies to the Supreme Court now. And nobody's really about repealing it, except very some very knowledgeable, thoughtful observers are saying, if the Democrats really post up and they really decide to filibuster that, uh, even that rule could be in jeopardy. Hmm. So this is a again, going back that's going scary. Back about 2018, really the relevance of that is this week. Because you're asking about this week, what is the relevance of that this week for Schumer to really stop any given nominee he's got to keep all of his 48 and get free but as you see a bunch of those 48 are very very vulnerable senators running for Mm re-election and they don't want to be tagged as somebody who obstructed some of who obstructed the trump agenda especially in areas where they really where it really mattered, like the EPA administrator, which is right. like going back to Joe Manchin, who's a member of the Democrat minority leadership, came out in favor. I, I don't know Did he, he really? Have, I don't know if he said he was going to vote for him, but he said he's a very nice man and and he could see how he would make a great <laughs> administrator of EPA. Boy, Schumer's hands are tied. Yeah, it's, it's a lot tougher than it looks just on the on the surface of it. Well, plus somebody – there was a report that leaked out somewhere that Trump had made a comment that um, he actually prefers Schumer to Paul Ryan as far as friends. I mean, he's closer with Schumer because I guess they knew each other in New York. Well, I mean, for sure that's true. I mean, we, we, we talk about – Many people talk about Trump like he's Ronald Reagan. He's not Ronald Reagan. No. He's basically, a, a, a probably a pretty moderate Democrat for most of his life, working in New York, which is a very totally blue state. Of course, I'm certain he knows Schumer well and and contributed lots of money to him over the years. Yeah, I mean it's. I mean, in a way, in the back of my head, I keep hoping that this might be a time where we actually start getting some, maybe some bipartisanship, some work done. Maybe a better relationship between the president and the and the Senate minority leader or majority leader. I mean, it, or a minority leader. I guess it would be. It would be. Um, I don't know. This this there might be. I don't know. I keep having a hope in the back of my head that something's going to change, but then I never know. Joe, let's take a break. Come back. I'd love to have you talk a little bit about what what you think is really going on with Russia. I and one answer I need to have from you is: Did the Russians? Give the election to Trump. 
Joe okay. Cannon will answer that after the break. Could Trump have won it without the help of the Russians? Hmm. We'll find out. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world and be the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the line with us, Joe Cannon. Joe is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is an organization trying to lower the fuel costs for us here in the United States. And he's, you know, doing a great job. He also has a, a really, I think, rich history in the political world, but also in the media world as, a, as an editor for a newspaper. Um, and so we like to pick his brain, find out what he's hearing behind the scenes, as well as just making sense of uh, the political talk that we hear. Joe, welcome back, my friend. Thanks, Matt. Hey, so uh, the Russians, um, they finally have briefed the president. They also have briefed uh, the president-elect Donald Trump about the Russian scandal. Um, What do you think? Is... Did the Russians tip the hand, give Donald Trump the election? Yeah, I mean, the answer is I don't know. I kind of highly doubt it. I don't doubt at all that the Russians were deeply involved. I mean, everybody except Donald Trump seems to recognize right. the fact that that uh, they were deeply involved in, in hacking and doing whatever mischief they could. I mean, the interesting thing is, where did they start? I mean, the stories now are, well, they, they never expected Trump to win, so they were really trying to undermine Hillary's uh, presidency. Mm. That That does sound fairly plausible to me because I don't know – Anybody, with the possible exception of Kellyanne Conway, Donald Trump, and a very few people next to him who really believed that they were going to win. So, <laughs> so I kind right. of doubt the Russians were any smarter than you know, most. That makes more country. sense, right? That they were just yeah. trying to destabilize Hillary down the road. Yeah, and so they kind of maybe inadvertently helped uh, help Trump, but there's so many factors in a, in an election. I mean, she did win the popular vote, right? And so the the question is, well, what, what effect did it have in those individual states? And in each of those states, you can make a pretty plausible argument that they were just tired of deep blue policies and wanted to try something new. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm talking about sort of the, the the blue wall that changed at least from all blue to at least partly red. Yeah, uh, which is what in fact gave Trump the presidency. Well, how would you advise Donald about – because at some point – and Lindsey Graham keeps saying the same thing, that, look, nobody – no real credible source is saying that he – that the Russians tipped the scale for Trump. So Donald needs to accept the Russians were involved and go take that on as a leader and still fight that he's – it's legitimate. He's legitimate. He's the president-elect. I honestly, as we've said many times, who knows what's going on inside of his brain? Some kind of calculus could be going on in that uh, I think he sees, as many have, including Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and George W. Bush, possibly even Ronald Reagan, although Ronald Reagan turned out to be right in his assessment. Uh, you know, they believe that they could work with these Russian leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they find out that they can't. They find out that the ancient geopolitical fact that Russia is our enemy. And the question is how 
how hard are they going to fight? How hard do we need to fight? And so, you know, it's, it's, I, I think whatever Trump's going in prop, uh, presumptions are, at, at the end of the day, he's going to find out that there are geopolitical foe, but that, as also in history, we we worked with the Russians in World War One and World War Two, well, way more in World War Two, uh, as allies, even though we were uh, also geopolitical mm-hmm. opponents. So I, I think it's a really complex game that's going on. But Trump is it's is kind of it seems to me diverted by the this little personal. Uh, yeah. That well, if I if I admit the Russians had any involvement, then maybe I'm undermining my own greatness as or my own uh, success as president of the United States. And, but, I, and simultaneously, I don't know, I don't know what's going on? And you don't though. It, it seems like it seems crazy to demonize the um, the intelligence community. <laughs> like it seems like of all the people you don't want to have on your bad side would be. The intelligence agents. You'd think that, you'd think that, but you might also think that that Donald Trump, President-elect Trump, is posting up against the intelligence community. I hmm. mean, there, there are plenty of problems in the in the intelligence community that, that both Democrats and Republicans have had over the years, and maybe he's who knows what success, but maybe, maybe what he's doing is posting up against yeah. them to say, okay, there there are going to be changes here, guys. Yeah. What do you think about Obamacare? Um, and now we keep hearing that it might be a two-year process. We we might repeal, but to replace it, it's going to take a while. I mean, it seems like the Republicans have had a really long time to come up with a plan. Do they have one? Well, it's, I guess some of them might have plans, you know, plural plans for plural parties. So Ryan has apparently had a plan. I guess the new price, the new secretary designate has a plan. Uh, what's not clear, though, is, uh, hey, there's a lot of messiness that will be involved. And, you know, former governor of Utah, former head of uh, Health and Human Services, uh, Mike Levitt, is very, very, very smart on these issues. Uh, and, you know, strong Republican, you know, recognizes that it's going to be very messy because you can't just undo something that mm. now does insure uh, 20 or so million people. Right. So but, so one layer of it is just the complexity of undoing what's there and how do you undo it? Do you undo parts of it? And I think that's going to happen. There's going to be a bill that does, says on it, repeal and replace Obamacare. Then, as Mike Levin said, the question is, what does repeal mean or what does replace mean? Right. Um uh, uh, so I, I don't know that within the Republican caucus, you've got differences, not about whether it's good or bad, but in replacing it, what what, what impact is that going to have? What fiscal impact is that going to have? And you've got you know a bunch of senators and some House members saying, wait, wait a second, if we're replacing something here, we better do it in a way that's not going to cost any money. Well, that's probably not possible. Right. And so so within the caucus, you have uh, questions about the whole replace part of the of this equation. I don't know how that's going to come out. I mean, I, I just don't know. Yeah, and it seems like everyone's made the promises. They things have to be done. When you start looking at um, 
at at Obamacare. That's boy, that's got that's going to be a tangled web. Plus the wall. Donald came out about building the wall, but then they were thinking of maybe sneaking the whole wall into existing legislation, which means Congress would pay for it, not necessarily the Mexicans, as Donald had promised. How much rewriting of his promises will have to be made, do you think, in the next 100 days? Well, some, for sure, but there was a really good article in The Hill, which is sort of an inside Washington publication that just looks at things on the, uh, you know, things happening in Congress, basically said that there are quite a few things that he promised to do that he can do, and pretty quickly. Hmm. So, uh, you know, repealing, we talk, and, and almost all presidents do this, but when you undo the executive orders, which have largely been the sort of the skeleton, the infrastructure of lots of President Obama's policies have been manifested, as he himself famously said, I've got a pen and a telephone. Um, so a lot of what he did really was done through executive orders. Those could all be uh, rescinded on day one, and they will be. And unlike in other presidencies where the same thing has happened, it will be just much more consequential in a, you know, by, by uh, uh, invalidating the uh, Obama executive orders. That will have there many layers of those. Uh, there are science issues there, things that govern the military that were done through executive order. Right. Uh, things that affect universities, higher education, done through executive order. And a lot of the things were also done by letters sort of um, from the agencies and departments that were not themselves actual regulations that ended up governing. So you, you look at Title Seven and Title Nine of the uh, uh, Education Act, uh, Civil Rights Act, and the Higher Education Act. I, I'm getting the wrong sections in the Higher Ed Act, but in those acts that look at how you deal with um, uh, sexual issues on campus, a lot of that has been done by uh, by executive order and by these these uh, letters from the agencies, including the Department of Justice. So, so you've got this whole web of executive orders and and uh, enforcement slash uh, advisory memoranda that could be undone that have nothing to do with Congress. And that's a, that's that will turn out to be massive. It's going to take a long time for news media outlets to sort of go through that, unpeel that onion and mm-hmm. see exactly what did happen. Which goes to your so point. Of, the answer is a lot of things happen. Can the, can the wall be built by Mexican money on day one? No. no. That's not going to happen. Uh, is it going to ex- uh, deport uh, tens of millions of people? No. Will he deport some some people? Yes. Mm-hmm. We're already looking at a list of, of criminals uh, that are identifiable resident aliens. Uh, can, can they deport them? Some of them, yes. Which is why your point at the very beginning about the 2018 election and how many senators are sitting in precarious positions, if Donald could help turn some of those by 2018 – He'll have he'll have a lot of power to actually do more than just executive orders, right? Well, I think personally that the Supreme Court filibuster is in, is not going to stand more than one appointee, if that if that one. Yeah. Uh, the legislative filibuster, I don't see a lot of appetite to change that. No. On the, even on the Republican part, so there is a way to change it, and that's get sixty. 
mm-hmm. the That's right. To that picture. Then you're making legislation, yeah. right, instead of just proclamation. Yeah. yeah. So. Wow. Talk about, we only have a minute or so left. What are we missing? What should we be paying attention to? What should the average uh, listener be thinking about that maybe the media aren't talking about? Well, I, I don't know. I go back to something you said about bipartisanship and the thought that maybe Trump and Schumer could work together. I think there actually be more of that than there was in the Obama administration. President Obama really did rule from the West Wing, so-called, and I think Trump is less likely to do that. He's going to reach out to Congress more, and he's going to have, and his cabinet secretaries are going to have more clout than the cabinet secretaries in the Obama administration. But having said that, the fact is there's a deep, deep cleavage in the United States of America. It's very deep. You you started out the program talking about uh, um, who's the actress? Uh, Meryl, uh, Meryl, Meryl Streep, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, she she does represent. There's a deep embedded in the uh, uh, progressive movement that's just as deep, but just as embedded as a very conservative movement. And each of those has very very strong control in the respective parties. So you've got, you really do have a generally left-right situation, but even in that left-right situation, you have the deep, more left progressives that have enormous clout in the Democrat Party, and the same thing on the very conservatives have enormous clout. I don't see that except on a few limited issues where there there will be agreement. I don't see how you bridge that gap. And, they, and I'm the wrong person to talk about that, but I, but I don't see how that gap is bridged. Mm. Donald Trump wants to be president more than one term, and so he may figure out a way to do that. I think you'll, you'll see some very innovative actions on the part of the Trump administration in inner cities, working to make lives better there. If he's successful even a little bit in that, that will alter the calculus enormously going forward. Yeah. Because when you look at that map of the United States, it's all red, except the little splotches of blue, all of which are around urban areas. And Boy, what if he could get in there and do... Yeah, that'd be amazing. Improve the lives of people in those inner cities, mostly African-Americans, mostly Hispanic, that will make an enormous difference going forward in maybe altering that, that um, uh, left-right calculus. Mm. Joe, great insight. Appreciate your time, your willingness to come on every Monday and walk us through the the very complex. Joe Cannon's his name. Go to check out his website, um, fuelfreedom.org. Just some wonderful work that they're doing at trying to minimize your fuel costs here in the United States. (sighs) It's complicated. But what if we could? What if we could solve some of the big problems, some of the the deaths in Chicago, for heaven's sakes. What if we could, you know, get some work done instead of dividing the country? We'll take a break. Come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. When you think about it, uh, again, Meryl Streep's comments do communicate that, remember, half of the country, in fact, more people voted for Hillary Clinton to be elected um, 
And remember, a lot of those votes weren't always pro-Clinton. Sometimes they're anti-Trump and vice versa. So we are a very uh, deeply uh, divided country. And at some point, a, a decision has been made on the presidency. Let's just hope. And if you're Donald Trump, step up, please, and and be the leader and learn this the art of, you know, saying less. And doing more, getting more results, boy, that would be nice to start seeing kind of a balanced uh, approach to, to change and results and, and, and hopefully unifying a country. Anyway, it's in the best interest for all of us if we can't find a way to change this, this political divide. It, I think it could change a lot, especially future generations as well. My kids don't even know that you could these, these people can work together. They've never seen it in their lifetime. We will take a break, my friends. Change. It begins with us, though. Remember, we voted or didn't for these candidates, and uh, we're the ones that will move it forward as well. We'll be taking a break. We'll be back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your friend, your coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on the program to help you get the information you need. And in fact, some information you don't need. We call it empty news. Matt Townsend News. Yes. Just the latest and greatest, some stories to motivate you as a human being. Most of us weren't born, you know, with a owner's manual in, in our hands. We just didn't have that. So we have to figure it out as we go. That's why we give you the show. And every week, every day, just giving you new ideas, tools, and in fact, sometimes just crazy stories about what other people are doing so that you don't go do it. Today, for example, we will be talking about if you're going to rob a store, where do you get your mask? Because you got to choose your mask wisely. Yeah. You only get one chance to make a first impression. That's exactly right. As a bank robber and as just a human being, you only get one chance to make a good first impression. Should you choose the Chewbacca mask? Some would say no. I'd, it's, I'd go with something a little more subtle. Maybe a human face, maybe a past politician, a Nixon perhaps. Hmm. Who knows? It's a little more tasteful. Yeah. Reagan. You could always go with Reagan. He makes a great mask who, for an armed robbery. Who doesn't love Reagan? <laughs> and he was an actor. So, you know, you can go with Meryl Streep if you're frustrated uh, by what Meryl said last night. So, you know. There's a lot you can learn. Today we'll be talking about that. Also, it is clean off your desk day. This is the day you clean it up. Time to time to start the new year. Clean off your desk. Now, if we don't have a desk, then I suppose we can clean off our yeah. uh, metaphorical desks. They keep moving you to because you're always here in the early morning hours when no one else is here. So they're like, pick a desk. Take any desk you want. Yeah. So I use Don's desk in the morning. 
Oh, do you? I just break into his office. Yeah, yeah he was asking me who's been – yeah, who took his handle off Yeah, he his... came in. He's like, was... somebody's been sitting in my chair. Yeah. Somebody's been eating my oatmeal. <gasps> I've heard this story. Somebody's been reading my emails. <laughs> I didn't – I don't remember that part of it. Oh. But uh, you don't need a desk to know you're important, you guys. Just know right now because I'm saying it. You are both very important. I don't want a desk because I think that implies – you have to sit and use something it. more yeah. that I really want to be implied <laughs> with. That doesn't make sense, but I think you get the mm-hmm. sentiment. No, yeah, totally. You guys are sad, Jeff. <laughs> this, this, I think we hit a nerve on Jeff there. What I don't understand is decorating a desk. What do you mean? When people bring in a potted plant or that's toys not decorating. Or that's just oxygenating. Or, is that what it is? Yeah, just trying to oxygenate your desk. So what know. you're trying to say is any of us could be gone in a split second. Well, yeah. Have a box ready just to fill up. See, that's the thing. Is that why you carry a box around? Everyone needs a box to fill up all their personal effects wow. to go, whereas if you don't have any personal effects, you just walk out the door. Guys, so, so decorate your box is what you're saying. You can do that. You must. Yeah. You think the show's just going to be canceled at any moment? No, but uh, you know, just, just past history has yeah. got me gun shy. How's that? I, okay. That makes sense. But again, if you carry a box around like you do, Terry, you don't yeah. have to have it on a dolly. Well, You're it, always pushing your dolly around. It's it's hard on my back to yeah. carry all that stuff right. all the time. So if you just put a couple wheels on it, pull yeah. it through. Yeah. My dolly's an American girl. Wow. Your wife? Or is that, are you talking about a real doll? An American doll. girl doll. I'm sorry. Um, are they a sponsor of the show? No. Okay. By the way, we'll be introducing a new sponsor as well today. Man, all kinds of stuff today. It's, it's a great – what was the name of the new sponsor? We, you don't want to just tease it and move on? You can't give away the surprise. It's a great sponsor. Our uh, our team is is out always looking for new sponsors. Well, that's good. And we found an incredible one that happens to kind of mesh with one of our stories today. Hmm. It's weird how that happens. Super cool. We'll be getting to that fun, um, plus cleaning off your desk, of course. And then uh, we talk a lot about fake news, hmm. you know, like – Made-up news that's there to kind of distract and distort the truth. It was talked over the weekend of let's get rid of that term, fake news, because it's being misappropriated. We're using it in a fake way. People are using it if they just disagree with it. Well, that's fake news. Yeah. But some news is not really fake, what that, right? Like, well, no, there's legitimate fake yeah. news out there, but just call it for what it is, a lie. It's lying, loot, lying news. It's but that's, a lie. Yeah, but that's, you know, then you're calling people liars. Well, I mean, there's liars and then it's a difference of opinion. There's two different things there. Our guest today will be talking about some research they've been doing on – because if there's any news that has to be accurate, it has to be the scientific news. You would hope. Like about vaccinations. Mm -hmm. Don't lie about what vaccinations do. But there's a lot of news out there that's not necessarily the truth. If it's a government tracking project, just say it. Right. If you're here to insert a chip (laughs) – under your skin so that we if can track you. If you're you. collecting the DNA sample so you can just further categorize all of society, say it. Well, see, so it's almost like you're spreading fake news about if DNA. If it's part of an alien-human hybrid project the government's been working on since the, the, the 60s. Wow. This sounds like you guys just... That their headquarters wow. are, are in uh, a range of mountains in, the, in what West Virginia. <gasps> And then wow. Mulder and Scully stumbled into it in like season three of the X-Files. See, I think I just see what's happening it. is it's hard to see what's real. Yeah. You just what's... referenced like five movies slash TV shows. I know. I watch too much. 
And but the crown. That, I think that is a part of it too. Is the, that people have all these TV shows, yeah. all these different ideas where their people are playing around with the idea of a conspiracy theory, and they just want it to be true. Did you say the crown? Yeah, the crown. The crown I think is the crown. she an alien or something? I didn't want to bring it up, but oh. I haven't seen all of the series. You gotta, you gotta wonder why she never she, takes that crown off. She did, she did disappear for the entire weekend. And then just, you know, since New Year's, right? That's right. Then she, then the, the the queen just all of a sudden showed up yesterday. And then she did almost get shot. And then you said she almost got shot by her security guard. <laughs> just saying. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of elements of nothing here that we could combine into yeah. something very impactful. Let's just let it go. Impactful. Well, anyway, we were going to talk about uh, why science needs to be communicated more effectively in the media so that we don't create other – Crazy. So what we did was the exact opposite. Yeah, we, I think we did exactly what they don't want us to do. Nice. We're effective that way. Oh, boy. I hope our guest wasn't listening. <laughs> anyway, we'll fix that. We will correct that in uh, post-edit. <laughs> uh, so much to talk about, but the headlines. We'll, yes. is, that's where we got to start. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country? Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said Sunday that he will not allow votes on President-elect Donald Trump's cabinet nominees until those individual ethics paperwork is complete, uh, complete through the Office of Government Ethics. In 2009, McConnell wrote to then-Majority Leader Harry Reid asking all nominees' financial disclosure forms to be completed before hearings are scheduled. We want to have all the records in, all the papers completed before they actually confirm on the Senate floor, McConnell said on CBS's Face the Nation, adding that he won't delay the confirmation process. He said in 2009, he also told the, we have a, a soundbite that McConnell told the Democrats to to uh, uh, to grow up, I believe. Yeah. Um, which one was that? That is... Um... Cook four. Democrats are really frustrated that they lost the election. I was in Senator Schumer's position eight years ago. I know how it feels when you're coming into a new situation that the other guys won the election. What did we do? We confirmed seven cabinet appointments the day President Obama was sworn in. We didn't like most of them either, (laughs) but he won the election. So all of these little procedural complaints are related to their frustration at having not only lost the White House, but having lost the Senate. I understand that, but we need to sort of grow up here and get past that. We need to have the president's national security team in place on day one. And So, yeah. There you go. Just just get it get it done. It's, get it. Grow up. Now, now, the main problem is a lot of the people Trump is appointing have never been in government office before. Right. They haven't filled out a financial disclosure statement. A lot of these people are really wealthy. Yeah, and it and takes so time. It takes time to get through this stuff, and yeah. so they need the process to kind of— like Even Donald Trump. Well, right. Well, he doesn't have to do that, apparently. Uh, President Barack Obama said he believes his signature legislative achievement, the Affordable Care Act, will survive after he leaves office later this month. In an interview on ABC that aired Sunday, Obama implored Republicans to not undo things just because I did them. That's a good point. He was asked, do you think it'll survive? He said, it will either survive in name or it'll survive under some other label, but the elements will still be there. Hmm. Which is... Proving to be true because there's parts of it that yeah. the Republicans have said they like. Yeah, we're not getting rid of all of it. They, they can't. They tick off 20 million people. Yeah. Uh, Ted Cruz met with the uh, president of Taiwan oh, over boy. the weekend in Houston, fueling tensions further with That's China. That's why we weren't doing that. Um, no. The, the visit came amid objections from Beijing. Uh, Ted Cruz said he received a letter from the Chinese consulate. He said it was curious. 
um, asking him to uphold the one-China policy. And uh, Ted Cruz said that uh, in America, we make decisions about meeting with visitors for ourselves. There you go. A state-run Chinese tabloid warned President-elect Donald Trump of revenge if he fails to abide by the one-China policy. Wow. What do you think they do? I don't know. They'd probably send us some hoverboards that are <laughs> dangerous. More batteries will explode. <laughs> People could die. And finally, the AP reports a 28-year-old Brazilian man was arrested this week in Massachusetts after authorities found about $20 million hidden, $20 million hidden in a set of box springs in his apartment. Oh, wow. The arrest of Kleber Rene Rosario Roca. Who? Yeah. Is uh, connected to an investigation into Telex Free, an alleged pyramid scheme, according to Reuters. Authorities said that this company was originally created to swindle Brazilian immigrants, but ended up taking $1.8 billion from nearly 1 million people from around the globe. Mm. Authorities said the guy acting as a courier for his ne- the nephew of the founder of the company delivered a suitcase containing $2.2 million to a cooperating witness. They then followed him to an apartment where they found $20 million more under a mattress. He's been charged with conspiring to commit money laundering. Wow. And for putting $20 million in a mattress. You've got to watch out for those pyramid schemes. You know, They send you those emails asking you for money so that they can build a pyramid. And if you're not careful, yeah. they'll, they'll get your money. Yeah. Yeah. And you won't even get a chance to see the pyramid. Mm. Great point, Jeff. Great point. We see we're here to help you in any way we can. Mm. In any way we can. Um, Okay. So a former employee of a Florida vending machine company dressed up in a Chewbacca costume. Mm. Yeah. And stole money from a pair of kiosks that he had been maintaining. Was Was he trying to blend in? I don't know. Okay. Apparently, according to cops who arrested Star Wars devotee for the grand theft, according to the investigators, Darren Pickram, 56, took a total of $623 from a couple of vending machines at an office in Largo, was captured by a security camera, and the defendant um, uh, felony complaint states that he was observed on video entering the location in a Chewbacca costume. Hmm. Not just a mask, the entire costume. Really? Yeah. Pickram was terminated by the vending company two months ago. Did he get a medal? Because he didn't get a medal. He, didn't, he, he got a Golden Globe, actually. Oh, okay, great. For his acting abilities. And uh, while he knew enough to wear the disguise, Pickram inexplicably allowed cameras to get a shot of his face as he entered the building. So apparently he hadn't put the, put mask, the on? mask on. So always remember, if you're going to rob uh, or, or anything you know illegal, make sure that you're all dressed in your costume before you enter the facility commit to it go just go all method out on it you know just practice you are chewbacca once you put that costume on yeah have somebody run through lines with you before you do the deal anyway only respond to chewy or chewbacca yeah and apparently they only um these people had been dealing with him for two years they knew what he looked like so when they saw his face they're like ah that's Hey, that's Darren. I'd recognize that Wookiee anywhere. <laughs> I'd recognize that Wookiee walk anywhere. So interesting thing about this story, it happens to tie with one of our newest sponsors. Hmm. We have a sponsor. I'm not going to give you too many details. A store that actually sells outfits to help you break the ice and provide you with confidence on the job. Are you planning to rob a convenience store but are stumped about what to wear? As every crook knows, you only have one chance, approximately four and a half minutes, to make a first impression. 
So make it a good one and buy your next disguise at the Crook Closet, the only store where criminals can find the outfits they need to feel more confident on the job. Come in now and choose from some of our more popular disguises, such as Chewbacca, Deadpool, and the timely Donald Trump mask. Not only will they keep your identity safe, but they also make great conversation starters. So while you're breaking the law, you'll have the perfect outfit to break the ice. The Crook Closet, the store where you can shop first and ask questions later. It's a great tagline. The Crook Closet, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. We appreciate every sponsor that we can get. The Crook Closet. It does take, you only have four and a half minutes to make a great first impression. And quick getaway. And a quick getaway. The Crook Closet, by the way, they also do more than, than criminal activities, right? I think you can get you can get a, an outfit for any event, right? It's more than just robberies. I think so. But, you know, and it doesn't just help you rob banks successfully. Mm-hmm. It builds your confidence, it sounds like, too. Yeah. I mean, if you want to be Rambo... And, you know, have, you know, a ripped body. You could go Rambo it out at at Crook Closet. Yeah. Who needs a year of intense physical workouts? Mm -hmm. And let's say you don't even want to commit a felony act, but you do want to scare your children. Why not dress up like uh, Deadpool? He's kind of scary. They'll they'll really take anybody, but they do cater mainly toward criminals. Criminal elements. Because they don't – they just – they don't have anywhere else to go. It, and it's an all-cash business. They don't discriminate. Good stuff. Crook Closet. You can find it right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we will take a break when we come back. we got to be careful. When you're talking about, um, you know, climate change, GMOs, vaccines, there's a lot of not-so-valid information out there about these different uh, scientific endeavors. How does... Our communication about science impact science going forward. Stick with us. We'll be talking about it. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Whether it's GMOs, climate change, or vaccines, you probably heard a friend or a family member rant about the science behind it. It's just quackery, right? Well, how does false information get spread? What can scientists do to provide useful information and to create a more positive public discourse? Uh, Dr. Dietram Shufley is the John E. Ross Professor in Science Communication at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And Dr. Shufley is uh, on the forefront of the science of communicating science. And we welcome him here today to have this conversation. Dr. Shufley, thank you for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Um, it's again, we've, we've had and, and really had to blow up some of the myths on a lot of these topics, GMOs, climate change, vaccine. What, what is what's going on between the science and the presentation of the science that's 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 sending or that's confusing people? Well, I think there's two things. I, I think on the one hand, we have science getting more and more complicated and, and complex. If that's nanotechnology, if that's editing the human genome, things that are really highly complex and, and, and technical. And, 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 but the second thing is that all of this modern science has implications that, that go well beyond the science. It, it questions what it means to be human. It questions if we should create materials that don't exist in nature. So a lot of the questions that are being raised by the, by the science actually 
play to our values and our core beliefs rather than scientific facts. So the two very often get mixed together, and I think that's where a lot of a lot of the confusion uh, or at least the potential for misinformation comes from. Mm, that's so true. And then and then all of a sudden, it I guess this is where the whole debate about truth goes away. It's it just creates a frenzy. It cre- it, it ends up operating more on our fear that our values are going to be questioned or we're going to start, you know, uh, I don't even know, I guess, cr- cloning no, humans. And then you're, but, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. And, 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 and what ends up happening and all of us are doing the thing that's really important. Um, we know from psychology since the 80s that all of us use something called motivated reasoning, which means if we look at facts, we end up weighing those facts more heavily that fit what we already believe. And we weigh those facts less heavily that, that contradict what we believe. And, and, and all of us do that to some degree. And so that means if a new piece of scientific information comes in, especially one that may question a value system that we hold dearly, then we're less likely to, to believe that, that fact. And, 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 and that explains why we have half of the population or a good chunk who doesn't believe in climate change and, and a good chunk who does, or some people who continue to believe that vaccines are related to autism, even though the one study that claimed to have found that has long been debunked and, and all mm-hmm. scientists uh, would say that it's absolutely false. But, but, but again, um, that, that idea that we process information in a motivated way, all of us do, um, no matter how scientific our thinking may be, um, I think is, is something that we, that we really need to come to grips with. Is it so there is kind of a value system to this. There's the, there's the motivated reasoning you know, kind of paradigm belief system we all use. Um, I, I guess, too, there's also been historical experiences where we didn't have it right, right? Where there was we, – we, yeah. we believed something scientifically that was then proven wrong later. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the key talking points by a lot of people who, who, who feel that maybe, you know, certain – uh, messages from the scientific community are less credible than they than they think they are, um, and and I think that that's a key challenge for science to communicate something that's actually a core part of science, and that is its self-correcting nature. Right? Science tries out, it rejects hypotheses, it tests. It actually wants to be wrong in order to find truth. Right. It, it tries to test again and again. But that very nature of science, of course, is really difficult to communicate, saying we actually tried to be wrong. We tried to reject what we believed in the past in order to have better explanations now, because that sets up uh, science really nicely for attacks that say, well, you guys were wrong in the past. Mm -hmm. And the answer to that, of course, is yes, we were. And that's the whole point of doing science in the first place. And it seems like the market, the media market, we are not necessarily always interested in in the facts, the science, as much as... What's the latest hit? What's the most interesting thing to talk about today? No, absolutely. And I think there's two things, right? On the one hand, in order to make a story interesting, it needs to be unexpected. And, 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 and yeah, I think John Stewart said at some point, nobody wants to watch a truck not on fire. And <laughs> science has the exact same problem. That is, you know, the basic process of science is not, it, it, as, a, for a new, as a news story, is not necessarily uh, very interesting. So we really are looking for the, for, the, for the interesting, for the unexpected findings. But I think the second problem, and I think that's less a, a problem for traditional media, but we're, we're moving into this, in this era where everybody can find and live in their own filter bubble, meaning a, a, I can find the sources and the, and the, and the, and the journalists uh, or maybe bloggers who tell me what I already believe in, right, further feeding uh, that, that, that bubble of motivated reasoning that we live in. And I think that's, a, that's really a, a something that we've seen develop in the last five, ten years more so than, than ever before. We talk about it a lot on the show, about the fact that we need to 
broaden intentionally broaden our own viewpoint, listen to other things that might be outside of our bubble. Yeah. But, but I guess I mean too that's almost even an intellectual argument. Like it's because there's certain people that they don't care one way or another. Just give me what's easy or whatever and tell me what I want to hear. It's because as long as the scientific community is all over – I don't know. I, I had – we the, the Ebola virus and all of sure. the hype and the fears that it created and then really the misinformation that was being spread, it, it almost yeah. in a way it seems easier to keep people not in the know, but that's not healthy. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, and I'm laughing because, because uh, yes, that, that, that some people in the past, and in, in, in the 40s and 50s, especially after, after you know, the rise of fascism in Europe, actually argued that, that, it, that it may be a, a good thing if, if certain people become or, or maintain a level of ignorance and also a level of mm. political apathy if they don't go vote. Right. Um, but, of course, democratically, that's not what the country us. is based on. And, and I think a, a really interesting... Um, element of, of, of all of that democratically is also that we know from social science research and a lot of our own research here at Wisconsin that people who live in, in heterogeneous networks, who, who interact with people that are not like them, they don't think like them, that people who have more of those heterogeneous networks are also more participatory. They're more knowledgeable. Why? Because they get their cage rattled on a, on a regular basis. Mm. They need to rethink their own positions. They need to find more information to either, either defend what they know or they need to actually adjust their, 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 their mental models, their frameworks based on better information. So disagreement is actually good for us. We know this democratically from, yeah. from social science research. But um, that's in, in, in reality, of course, it's easier said than done. Well, it almost seems like in the academic world, it's the disagreement is idyllic because you could present a paper and I think it could get picked up in one of the journals and then a, 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 not a competitive, but a fellow – thinker, a fellow academic could then present the contrary argument with contrary evidence. And that would all be taking place in journals in a healthy discussion, it seems like, in a way, as a po- But that's all in the journals at the academic level. We bring it down to the media level, and it's kind of like it's just a fight. Everyone's yelling and they're throwing out numbers, but none of the numbers are validated. And it's sure. so I guess there's a difference between the academic world making this discussion um, and, and, and this argument to each other versus when we bring it down into the real world to communicate it. Absolutely. And I mean, we spent hundreds of years in the academic community to refine the rules of the game, if you will, right? What is a valid argument? How do you exchange those arguments? How do you write a rebuttal in a journal to somebody attacking or criticizing your work? Um, there are rules in place for all of these things within the academic community, within the ivory tower. Um, in, the, in the public domain and public discourse, it really is more or less a, a, a free-for-all where we have to compete over, over attention of the audience, number one, and also where we have to compete to reestablish our, our authority, our argument that we're providing a better way of, of finding out, of knowing, that science has a better way of finding out and knowing than any other societal entity. And I think that's, that's something that's, um, you know, a fight that has to be fought again and again and again and again, or an argument that has to be presented. And it's up to scientists. It's their job to, to create that or to make that argument succinctly and in a way that's being taken up by audiences. Um, otherwise, I think we have, we have little, complain about, little to complain about unless we actually are willing to, to mm. engage in that, in that debate. And you, what's, I think, incredible is you're out researching ways – that scientists and the com- scientific community could better communicate. What, what are some mistakes you see the community themselves making in trying to get their information out? 
I mean, based on what we just talked about, I think there are a couple of things, right? One is the, the, the idea that scientists very often have an initial reaction saying, well, all we have to do is tell people the facts. Hmm. And, and, and once they have the facts, they'll make better decisions. But, the, but, but we just talked about motivated reasoning, that the same fact means different things to, to different people. I think number two is the idea that a lot of these scientific new emerging technologies are, are, have a value component to it. I mentioned uh, human gene editing, the idea of, of editing the human genome yeah. to prevent diseases and other things. That will involve making fundamental changes potentially in the, in the minds of some people to what it means to be human. It challenges religious views. Um, those are debates that scientists will have to engage in if they like it or not. And those are not debates that are just scientific. They're going to be religious, ethical, moral, political. But unless we have them, we're, we're not going to move ahead with, with those fields in a responsible way. And I think that's a second um, key part. Um, you need to engage with audiences where their values mm-hmm. are and where their, their, their really core beliefs are. Are there sci- – I mean – and I know there are. Are there scientists that, that uh, might have a, a religious belief about something like um, genetic – the Human Genome Project, for yeah. example, and yet – they still believe in their faith, their religion, and they understand the Human Genome Project. Would it be better to then work with others that have maybe the values in place to be able to communicate it to that audience? Yeah, I think it's a really, really good approach to it. And, and some folks at the National Academies um, have already tried to do that, find scientists who, who have those value systems in place and also connect naturally to those communities. Mm. Networks, yeah. That, and, and exactly, get into those networks and, and, and share the excitement about this technology and why it's not inconsistent with those belief systems. Um, I think you know, some people may intuitively think, well, people need to just change their religious views or change their moral views. That's A, not going to happen, and B, that shouldn't be the, 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 the outcome of good science communication. The, the outcome of good science communication should be us as a society moving ahead um, with a science that is that that can be negotiated within those different belief systems that we all hold. Because mm. if you do tear down the value system of somebody and their religion, they in their mind they have no other choice but to then not believe your science. Absolutely, I think you're right on there. That's that's exactly what the outcome is going to be. You're basically going to find closed doors. They're going to slam those doors right in your face when you try to communicate. And the smartest people I know can see that both can coexist, and it's that's exactly it. It's powerful. Um, great, uh, great insight. Let's take a break. Come back again. We're speaking with Dr. Dietram Shufali about some research he's doing on how to effectively communicate about science. Boy, it's two things, right? We got to. It's not just about the facts. Just teaching people the facts doesn't mean everyone's going to buy into the facts. And also, we got to overcome or at least understand our value systems as well and how each, each little scientific innovation and discovery might totally, uh, you know, shake, vibrate in a negative way or a positive way with our value system. Stick with us, helping you see the good in the world, figure out how you can understand what's going on real time with the facts of life and the world while simultaneously still keeping a value system and belief system. Interesting little lesson, huh? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. 
You know, uh, you, you've heard it, and, and it, it could be so many different things. You've heard about the Genome Project, and now that in the future we may be able to actually edit your human genome. So, boy, what if in utero you could go in and, and edit out possible, uh, you know, genetic diseases or disorders or, or things that would impact your child? Would you be willing to do that? And if it if you do... What does it mean ethically? What does it mean to your religious views and values about uh, human life? A lot of questions come up as science starts taking on more and more. Remember the cloning arguments back in the day? Should we be cloning things? How about just uh, maybe more simple arguments, GMO, but climate change? Ninety-whatever percent of the... uh, the researchers out there believe in climate change or climate, the impact of human uh, humans in our lives on climate change. And then there's still people that don't believe it. How about vaccinations? Do they hurt? Do they help? <sighs> Science keeps studying and trying to communicate what they're finding out. And uh, then we still get polarized. So we're speaking with an expert that's been researching how we communicate and how scientists could maybe communicate more effectively about the science they're doing. Dr. Uh, Dietram Shufali is joining us. He is the John E. Ross Professor in Science Communication at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and is here today to help us understand what we should be doing as consumers and, you know, those that enjoy looking and, and reading the articles, also what scientists could be doing to make it a little better, um, and I guess the media as well. Dr. Shufley, thank you again for being with us. Thank you for having me. Is it, so if we look at it, I, I'm assuming it's a responsibility of me, the reader, to kind of n- notice the sourcing, figure out what it means, but it's also the media's job. We've had a lot of guests on here that'll come talk about their research, and I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, Dietram, a lot of times they don't communicate very effectively. <laughs> And, and and sometimes they do communicate effectively, but I don't understand exactly what their research is saying. And I might infer, um, you know, a, like a, I might just infer a cause effect when they may not have proven that yet. So sure. who's responsible to, to make sure it takes place, the communication we're looking for? I, I think journalists have always done a fairly good job. And I'm, I'm, I'm being more cautionary here. I think they've done a very good job. Um, in, in translating, you know, 20, 30 years of highly complex research into a, a short bit on radio or into 300 words in a newspaper and making it relevant. And I think we've always relied on that. Uh, that's disappeared a little bit in the last 10, 20 years. Mm. We've seen fewer and fewer science sections in newspapers. We've seen fewer journalists. Um, and it's partly because of audience demand, because audience have moved to free media, have moved away from from science news. Um, but I think that that just highlights part of your question, that is there is more and more of a, of a responsibility among scientists to communicate, um, to engage with public audiences, and, and to communicate in a way that's accessible, um, that, that plays that role of a translator. Um, and, and the tricky part of all of that, of course, is um, we talked earlier in the last segment about scientists having very clear rules for for how to engage with one another and talk and Mm. criticize each other. We train them to do that for tens of, for decades and decades. And then we say, now turn around and talk to the public in a way they can understand. So abandon everything that you've learned in your scientific career and and, and talk normally again. And and I think that's kind of the the paradox that we're we're caught up in. Well, I've I've seen it in my own professional work, um, working with couples, I've, in my doctoral program, I read extensively and learned all of this incredible 
insight and research that's been done by experts in marriage and family, and yet nobody communicates it broadly or communicates yeah. it well enough that it's getting out there changing marriages. So there is a gap. Is it is? What do you see happening? Do you see, are there you know departments um, in the scientific world? of communication experts that can take the research and get it into mainstream society. Yeah, I, I mean, my department is a really good example of one of those departments. We have at, at Wisconsin a, a department of science, of life sciences communication that came out of in the mid-19th century when, when Abraham Lincoln created the National Academies and created the land-grant universities like Cornell, like Wisconsin, like Rutgers, uh, and so on, and basically said, look, y- you guys need to take the research that we're doing and for the public good and translate it in a way that farmers can use that that lay citizens can use and to improve their daily lives. That was the idea of what Lincoln did back in, in 1850-something. Um, and so the, those departments still exist uh, at a Wisconsin or at a Cornell, um, departments that are, that, are, that are designed to do research that, that helps us better translate what we do within the university, within the ivory tower, uh, and take it to, uh, to, to very various public and policy audiences to help them make better decisions. Hmm. Um, and I think ultimately the idea, of course, is not to convince them that one position is necessarily right or wrong, but basically say, how can we make as a society better policy choices, uh, better decisions about vaccines and, and other things that are informed by the best available science? And, and that will have implications for for national security, for having the best medicine in this country, for, for you know, leveling out gaps between poorer and, and, and richer parts of society and so on and so forth. So yeah. things that we can all agree on. It, um, it really is, as we, because we work with really, I think almost every major universities, we've had somebody on the show doing and, and talking about some of their research. But again, there are some people that are really good at synthesizing and making it so the average person can understand it, and others struggle with it. Is it is some of this problem just how we even tenure a professor? I mean, we we tenure them based on their researching, based on their publishing, but not always on their dissemination of information. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. I mean, we at most um, top research universities, people are tenured based on research, teaching, and service. Teaching. That's right. Com- and, and, and service to the academic community um, and, and public communication is, is, is very often not a, a, a large part of tenure packages. Um, there is a, 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 some have argued that, that Carl Sagan, of course, who was an astronomer at Cornell, mm-hmm. never was elected into, in spite of being a great, great researcher, was never elected into the academies because he was too good of a, of a, of a public speaker and public communicator. So clearly he couldn't be in the, in the mind right. of some a good researcher and, and People even made a verb out of this and said, you know, you got Saganized and you, you never made mm. it to the academies. Um, I think that's changing, actually, and I think universities are realizing that, that their public footprint is more and more important, that, that having that impact. We, we have new metrics for scientific publishing, like altmetrics and others. Um, we have public scholarship being valued at some of our elite institutions. So I think we're seeing a little bit of a, of a sea change there, but we're, we're certainly far from being there. Uh, and I think you're absolutely right, unless the incentive systems, both fiscally and in terms of tenure, end up changing, and, and unless we give people salary increases um, and, uh, and, and, and tenure based, in part at least, on, on, on how good a public communicator they are, um, I think we're not going to see a change. Does that mean that everybody needs to do it? No, but it means that those who do it really well should be rewarded. Hmm. And, or, and or, I guess, hire people that do nothing but communicate for your department. 
That's a that's another I think uh, uh, approach, and I think a lot of universities have really good uh, public information officers, and, and 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 now folks who deal with social media and 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 impact through through uh, social media reaching audiences that maybe previously we haven't reached as well. Hmm. Um, so I think a lot of universities are are doing that second part uh, much better than than the first one. Yeah, yeah. Is I, I guess too when when you look at it. Um, you, you still you can communicate as effectively as you want, but then you you get back to the values argument. There are people that do not want to hear this research because it's it goes against what they what that they value what they believe in. What what can uh, educators what can academia do to to help them more? And what what if you do have a value? Um, question based on uh, that goes head to head with the research. What can I do just as a layperson? Sure, and I, th- I think there's there's a, a, a really good example for what you just described is climate change, which is an issue that since Al Gore took up the mantle of climate change has been highly politicized. Um, people on the conservative side thinking that it's mostly a liberal argument to push through more regulations that otherwise would not have been uh, politically feasible, um, and and you cannot communicate climate change um, based on the facts anymore. It's just it's too politically polarized in this in this country. Um, and I think we saw that with the most recent election and, and some of the statements since then. Um, but I think the communication or, or, or the communication about climate change is no longer about is it really there or not, but right. it's really what solutions can we actually agree on? And can we agree, for example, that we need green energy because we want it to be globally competitive? And when China um, has another year of bad smog in Beijing. Beijing, do we want to sell them our green energy as Americans, or do we want them to purchase that from from Germany? And I think Democrats and Republicans will agree we want them to purchase it from from U.S. vendors mm. and from U.S. developers. Now, do I have to be right on climate change and say, "See, I told you so." Climate change is real. No, right. I don't even mention the word climate change. What I what I what I'm trying to find is a solution that we can all agree on across hmm. different values. Um, and I think that's really one of the key takeaways from, from the science of science communication, um, that, that, that scientists, we love to be right in the end and you know, wag our fingers and say, see, we told you so all along. But that may not be the best approach to actually getting bipartisan or across values buy-in to solutions. Um, and I think climate change is a prime example for that, where it's really Speak to the values that unite us and, and don't worry about as much about having been right all along. Right. Well, I mean, even even as I make the list of all of the possible topics that we, we've had issues on, it's the, it's the science is not about vaccinations or not. I mean, it's there's so many things we do agree on. There's so many parts to every – because these systems are complex, right? This isn't just one cause, one effect. It's multiple cause, multiple effects. So like you're saying, we could go down the multiple causes and start finding things that we actually agree on. Yeah, and you mentioned vaccines, which is a, a, a prime example also for, for an issue where science can provide some answers. Um, you know, they could, Science can tell us what happens if X percent of the public doesn't vaccinate their children or if certain pockets of, of society don't vaccinate their children. But science cannot tell us if that means we should mandate vaccinations. That's a political question that hmm. we as society need to debate and need to come to a, to a conclusion on. And so I think that's also that's a, a, another key takeaway. How do we separate the things that science can provide input on? And then as scientists, stay away from trying to make definitive statements where really our own values come in. Yeah. I happen to believe that we should mandate vaccinations if you want to send your child to a, to a child care facility, but that's my personal mm-hmm. 
view. That's as, as, a, as a citizen, not as a scientist. Um, and I think separating those two will also go a long ways toward, toward us being, being credible communicators of what we do know by staying away from what we cannot know because those are political, ethical, or moral questions. That is such an interesting point because that it seems like where it muddies the water a lot is the minute we – we start moving just away from a statement of facts exactly. to a position. Is it, uh, I guess, too, though, a lot of times scientists are uh, receiving much of their money or a lot of their money from government agencies. Does, yeah, does the do. money – and that, does that play into any of this? Well, so, so historically this is an interesting thing in the U.S. because we basically, through the way we fund science, we've shifted away from a model in the 60s where we, where we funded about two-to-one public over industry in the 1960s, and now we flipped that proportion mm. around, and we're funding about two-to-one industry over public money. And, of course, in every budget battle in, in D.C. and elsewhere, we see science being cut more and more and more. But the outcome is, is one where the public potentially ends up in the long term trusting science less because they're concerned that it's all industry funding right. anyway. Right, no, exactly. Um, but at the same time, we're not willing to make electoral choices that, that – that give you know restore funding funding for science to its rightful place the way it was or where it was in the 1960s so we're caught in an interesting in an interesting catch 22 here um that that we we don't appropriate the funds uh, and then we're 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 surprised that most of the research has to be done by industry which is just a, a nat and also research in universities has to be supported by industry how do we and and just i guess we've got about a minute how do i as a media person um push to create healthier resolution here? What can I be doing and what can our listeners be doing to, to, to change this, to demand a little bit um, higher quality, to be able to look more broadly at the information, but also, um, I mean, even make push on some of these political decisions that need to be made? Yeah, I think, it's, I think the key for all of us is to think how does science really help us with the core challenges that we face as a country, with economic challenges, with... Uh, military challenges with you know challenges like feeding the world and and what contributions can science make and does science make and communicate around those those large challenges and the answers to them and I think all of a sudden voters and 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 uh, congressional uh, members will will have a much easier time understanding why it matters and and why it needs desperately investment. Mm. Great insight, uh, Dietram A. Shufali. We appreciate your great work out of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and the uh, Morgridge Institute for Research. Folks, we got to, at some point, you've got to trust science. And you can still trust your value system. They can go together. Again, I promise, uh, LDS as well. I'm looking here, looking at, uh, you know, LDS is seen as a fairly conservative um, religion. And yet, you can have science and great research and Hold on to your value system and your belief set. It can go together. It can go together. We will take a break, come back, help you uh, continue to see the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, a man was surprised to learn that the device that he's been using to smash walnuts for over 25 years is actually a hand grenade. You know, just a little hand grenade. Yeah. This is why you got to not eat walnuts. 
They could kill you. Chinese man was shocked to learn recently that his trusty nutcracker was actually a hand grenade. Oh. I don't remember that part of the nutcracker. Here's here's the best part. Right here. Mm. Oh. Three walnuts opened and scattered around the village. Well, a man surnamed Ron... Uh, told local reporters that he had been using a device regularly for the past 25 years to open walnuts. Earlier this month, he stopped uh, using this dev- this hand grenade because of a safety leaflet about explosives that clued him into the the destructive nature of his tool. Another example of how junk mail can save your life. That's right. Hey, you haven't seen one of these lying around the house, have you? Don't touch it. It's an explosive. So, what do you do? Apparently, it, uh, it, it does not have a pin, so it was likely manufactured in the 60s. And, uh, you know, now what do you do? But he's got to quit using it, because it sounds, even if you love the Nutcracker music, someone's going to get hurt. If there's a home invader, maybe he could use it then to threaten? Throw the, throw the grenade at him. Well, anyway, he's he's lucky to be alive. Um, they apparently have he's turned it in to the authorities, and uh, they're looking into the matter to see if it really is still a live grenade. This guy should get free tickets to the Nutcracker for the rest of his life. Yeah, I yeah, doesn't work that way. I don't think it works that way mm. because he really wasn't he wasn't participating in the Nutcracker. He was just cracking nuts. Making well, that, himself a, a, a wonderful salad, I'm sure. You don't think he was listening to this? No. While he was cracking nuts? I'm going to bet not. Got to watch out for it. Hey, uh, so much next hour we got to talk about. Stick with us, folks. We're going to walk you through life one day at a time. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Happy Monday to you. It's a new week, and it doesn't mean it's it's going to be difficult. We can get through this. We are here for you. Come on. It's Monday. Get excited we got a lot to talk about today. We'll be uh, breaking down the New Year's resolutions. According to one of our guests, we'll be replaying an interview we did a little while ago about why New Year's resolutions may be bad for you. So if you've already, you know, set the New Year's resolution and you're struggling with it, now it's good news. Maybe you ought to stop it because it's bad for you. So me breaking my New Year's resolution is good for me. Yeah. You and I have been working. You didn't break it. You've been you've been working on a resolution. I've been working on a resolution. And I I'm I mean, I think people are noticing. I did an interview the other day and the person interviewing me said, you you're you look like you've lost weight. And she, I think she said your face looks less fat. I mean, she said it in a better way than that. Hmm. More eloquent. I'm like, thank you. You, too. You too, but I'm not even going to. I'm I'm not going to tell everybody what I'm doing, but I'm working out. Let's just say that. I, I just Why ordered, can't you share the secrets with no, us? I just ordered a ten dollar medicine ball. 
not a $10, a 10-pound, and it's about $20 medicine ball. That's one of those balls where you pay $10 and you as much medicine as you can fill in it, yeah. that you get to keep it. Yeah, you fill it right up? Okay. I got a lot of really great... 10 pounds, huh? Antihistamines, yeah. Nice. No, it's 25 pounds. Oh, 25. No, 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 no. Oh. No, it's 10 pounds oh. for $25. Okay. So per pound, it was a really good deal. Pound for pound. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I know my, how to My use wife it uses a 12. Does she? Yeah. Man, your wife's strong. I use a 20. Really? Yeah, you work up to it. It's fine. Hold on, but didn't you just didn't we just talk about last hour that we were talking about working out or something and no. you were sore or your back hurt or something? No, you were talking about dragging things across the ground because I yeah. put wheels on the box that oh, I cleaned right. my desk off yeah, with. So yeah, yeah. Was a, so do they have a do they have a currency converter at the store? Because I I don't have twenty five pounds to get that ball. No, no, we're not talking about pounds. It weighs 25 pounds. It's not. Oh. It's not. No. Okay. Yeah. Hey, um, tonight's the night, right? The big game. Yes. Alabama-Clemson. Do you have a? Do you have an idea? Who's going to win? Uh-huh. Any insight? Well, last year it was a uh, same two teams. Mm-hmm. 45-40 Alabama. <clears throat> so close. So, So know. let's give it to Clemson today. Yeah, sure. Clemson, it's your turn. Your turn. Let's say it'll be 45-40 Clemson. Seeing that probably, I would say, 10 of the 11 guys that are on the Alabama defense will probably go in the NFL draft Yeah, at some point. I think it's really neat that two teams are having such a great year. Is it? Too bad the other 100 teams didn't have a shot. No, there there was probably a good 12 teams that had a legit shot at going yeah, to that I, game. But you know what's funny? So, we would never know because we don't have a playoff that's more than four games or four teams. How many would you want? You want 32? Let's do 64. There are arguments. Let's do like a six-week 64. There are arguments that the entire season is a playoff. Yeah. Because the second you lose, you're out. Right. For most teams. Unless, of course, you have 11 people going pro. Right. Or you're like Ohio State and mm-hmm. you can lose and— I mean, I don't That's know. Fine. It just something's got to happen somewhere. But uh, we'll see tonight. It'll be an exciting game, I'm sure. Clemson right. apparently will win today by five points. You think so? That's what you just said. No, I just said last year they won by five. So. Yeah. He's, re- he's referring to his 2017 sports almanac. Nice. That he got. <laughs> back to the future yeah. style. Nice. Is that, that's at the back of the farmer's al- almanac, isn't it? Good almanac. Hey, uh, we'll get to that fun. Plus, of course, the New Year's resolutions. And um, again, an- another little chance to meet one of our new sponsors. We keep getting new sponsors. I like that. It's, it means they're working hard upstairs. They're doing what they can. And uh, so much to share with you today. But first, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, what is going on around the rest of the country? Esteban Santiago, the man suspected in killing five people and injuring six others in the shooting at the Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport on Friday, was charged with an act of violence at an international airport that causes death, a charge which could result in the death penalty if convicted. The FBI said Santiago bought a one-way ticket to Fort Lauderdale specifically to carry out this horrific attack. Terrorism has not been ruled out. Santiago, a former member of the National Guard, is said to be cooperating with investigators. He finished his activities, set the gun down because he was out of bullets, and knelt down on the ground, waited to be arrested. No, No one shot at him. The police just walked in, arrested him, and took him out of the out of the uh, airport. Boy, so 
that, that that's ongoing. President Obama did not uh, did not misjudge possible threats from Russia. He said Sunday in an interview with ABC, but he did not realize the risk of digital election interference. I don't think I underestimated Vladimir Putin, Obama said, but I think that I underestimated the degree to which, in this new information age, it is possible for misinformation, for cyber hacking, and so forth to have an impact on our open societies, our open systems, to insinuate themselves into our democratic practices in a way that uh, I think are accelerating. Hmm. So he underestimated the uh, the effect of what they could do, not necessarily the person of Vladimir yeah. Putin. So. Hmm. Obama was speaking in response to this week's report from the FBI, NSA, and CIA on the Russian hacking. The FBI has arrested a Volkswagen executive as part of its investigation into the automaker's emission cheating scandal. Oliver Schmidt has been charged with conspiracy to defraud the U.S. over his uh, tenure as one of the company's regulatory compliance officials between 2014 and March of 2015. He was arrested Saturday in Florida and will likely be arraigned this week in Detroit. Ooh. So they made an arrest with the Volkswagen, the emissions yeah. not being up to uh, federal standards. Roll. And finally, a new yes. article in a peer-reviewed student journal finds that zombie hordes will take the Earth's population down to a mere 273 survivors in only 100 days. Oh, in the next 100 days? No, if there was an outbreak. It would take them 100 days to get the world population to 273 people. Really? I hope that's not what Donald Trump's going to unleash. The paper published by the University of Lancaster's, I guess is how you say it, was a fantasiful use of the so-called uh, SIR or SIR model, mm-hmm. which is what they use to uh, use in epidemiology to st- simulate how diseases spread over time. So in the new analysis, undergrads uh, assumed that each zombie would have a 90% success at finding and infecting one human per day. Wow. A rate that would make the zombie virus twice as contagious as the Black Death, the plague that uh, devastated Europe in the 1300s. (laughs) Yes. The researchers further estimated that each zombie could live 20 days without feeding. Oh, yeah. Assuming a but start- they have to hydrate. Assuming, assuming a starting population of 7.5 billion people, approximately the world's population today, the students calculated that it would take 20 days for a single zombie to start an epidemic of a noticeable proportion. Wow. At that point, the pandemic would have begun, assuming no geographic isolations. Uh-huh. In fact, the human population would drop to 181 by day 100 of the epidemic with 190 million zombies roaming around. I think they're not taking into account something else. Trade wins? Uh, how long has Walking Dead been on? I don't know. Seven years or something? I think we have seven years head start because people know how to kill zombies. We're prepared. Yeah. And as we know... It's just a headshot, right? As we know, the best place to hide would be kind of northern Idaho, western Washington, that sort of Oregon area. Interesting. Yeah. They've got plenty of ammunition in Idaho. So. It's a place to hide. Hmm. I don't believe it. I think they, I don't know. These stories come out every few months. I like to share the new research. Last hour, we talked about why people don't believe scientists anymore. (laughs) And I think this is the reason. It might be a contributing factor. Maybe don't use your models for a zombie apocalypse. Well, it gets people's attention versus, say, a cold virus. Right, exactly. But then when there really is an Ebola-like cold virus, no one pays attention. Right. We're pretty secure here at the radio station. No yeah, one's they're not going to break in here. Yeah. If I forget my little card, I'm out. If you guys aren't inside, we'll I'm just not... stand at the door and wave. Sorry, Matt, you don't <laughs> have your card. Zombies. You're not going to infect us. And we have food here and beverages now, and ice. What else do you need? I guess a handgun and family. 
Yeah, it's always back to family. Always back to family. Hey, um, this uh, a Canadian passenger removes his pants, hijacks a luggage tug, and drives across the tarmac in Orlando. Huh. Canadian man was arrested. Apparently, you're not allowed to do any of that. Really? Yeah. Keep your pants on. Yeah. Don't be stealing, you know, airport cars. Absolutely. Um, after driving a baggage towing vehicle across the tarmac at Orlando's International Airport, Richard Hoff was arrested. 27 was kicked off. He had been kicked off the United Airlines flight to Chicago for sitting in an unassigned seat in first class. Mm. He claimed to be a pilot, but he just and it just kept going. Uh, employee asked Hoff to get off. Uh, off the airplane. So then he got off the airplane and then he got on a, an elevator that was kind of a, an elevator designated only for employees of the airport. Hmm. And then they asked him to get off that elevator because he wasn't badged and they reported him to security. So then he started, you know, then he had to get creative. So what do you do when security's after you? First thing you think of, take your pants off. Of course. Which is what he did. And then, uh, without his pants, he then approached an, uh, an unoccupied or an occupied luggage tug. And when the driver stepped down to challenge him, he got on the tug, did a little, you know, once around, and then drove across the taxiway. They finally got him, arrested him, charged him. You know, if he wanted to take his pants off, but he didn't want to get in trouble, he should have gone to the grocery store because their only criteria are no shoes, no shirt. Right? They never say anything no about your pants. Yeah. So he yeah. would have been Keep fine there. Keep your shirt on. Take your pants off. I don't know why you'd need to take your pants off. You know why? He was trying to distract everybody. Hey, that guy's not wearing pants. But we, because we have a brand new sponsor for the show, we have another way that you could distract if you wanted to also create a disruption or a felony act. Here's our newest and latest, what do we call him? sponsor for the show. Are you planning to rob a convenience store, but are stumped about what to wear? As every crook knows, you only have one chance, approximately four and a half minutes, to make a first impression. So make it a good one, and buy your next disguise at the Crook Closet, the only store where criminals can find the outfits they need to feel more confident on the job. Come in now and choose from some of our more popular disguises, such as Chewbacca, Deadpool, and the timely Donald Trump mask. Not only will they keep your identity safe, but they also make great conversation starters. So while you're breaking the law, you'll have the perfect outfit to break the ice. The Crook Closet, the store where you can shop first and ask questions later. You know, in defense of this Canadian, uh, I can't remember the last time I've accomplished that much in one day. Yeah. He did a lot that day. But he was a busy man. Busy, busy man. But if he if he just knew that the game was on tonight, a little Alabama Clemson, who wouldn't just he just probably would have kept his pants on, gone to his hotel room. My hat's off to him, but my pants are on. Thank you. In both regards. Um tonight's the game. Clemson Tigers, third place Clemson Tigers, thirteen it is the, and one. The college football playoff national championship. It's happening tonight. Yes. CFP Championship, 6 p.m. on ESPN. ESPN obviously is going to make a lot of money on this. Or are they? I don't know. It sounds like they've got so much planned that maybe they're going to lose money. In total, they will have 14 variations of this game you can watch. What? How? 
It's just like di- the Madden version? Different audio feeds, different camera angles, mm. different things, different just presentations of the game itself. So it's a rematch. Last year, the Crimson Tide will be looking for their second consecutive national championship. They defeated Clemson 45-40 last season. The game had 40 fourth quarter points scored last oh, year. Oh, that was crazy. Right, so it was just a crazy show they put on. Uh, quarterbacks threw for 405 yards and four touchdowns. Just wonderful things going on if you like football. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the insanity of it all. More than 90 cameras will be used in the game. Wow. Raymond James Stadium is where it's going to take place in Tampa, Florida. This is where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play. There is a large replica pirate ship they built in the end zone that's part of the stadium. So it'll be <laughs> it'll be there, part of all this, too. It's kind of nuts. Um, let's see here. So they have super slow motion cameras, nine of those. Those are important. Aerial coverage, both direct TV and Goodyear blimps have coverage from high above the stadium, so two blimps. Mm -hmm. Cameras affixed to both goalposts, because you need the goalpost cameras. They also have the end zone pylon cameras, so they'll have those cameras. Replay, more than 35 replay machines will be used, so they can catch every replay as fast as possible. Uh, Four different 4K cameras, so if you have 4K capabilities, you could watch the game So for the 12 of those people, yeah. And the sky cam, so they have that zip line camera that runs up and down the field. Mm -hmm. They'll have that flying around, so maybe someone will throw a football and hit one interfere of those. Interfere with that. That'll be fun. little call there. ESPN has more than 1,000 staffers at the game. Holy cow. 65 transmission paths, meaning cables, different data yeah. sending to back to Bristol, Connecticut. Man. Right? They have added 70,000 feet of cable in and around the stadium. So the, the, the build-in, the, the load-in for this to build up for the broadcast is crazy. They'll have a Homer's telecast. For Homer Simpson. What it is, is uh, the, you'll have Clemson's all-time leading passer and former center from Alabama sitting there together in the same room comment, talking about the oh, game wow. as it okay. goes on. So you cool. get kind of a, yeah. a fight going on, they hope. Mm-hmm. The, uh, aggressive disagreement. Yeah. That. Um, coaches film room. Five coaches. Popular coaches in the film room. This is back with a new wrinkle. Limited commercial breaks during some of the breaks. The action the other, from the other networks, ESPN News. and other. So basically, you'll have a room. Yeah. You'll have five co- current college coaches in there giving their thoughts about the game of these other college uh, teams playing. Right. So that could be interesting to that watch if you really get bored. That could be really interesting. This year's coaches, uh, coaches from Boston College, Syracuse, NC State, Colorado, Baylor, and the last one, it says Kalani Sataki. Is he going to be there? So BYU's coach will be in that room. And then they just talk about what they just saw happening. and Yeah. It's, how, a, so it's like you're, in, cool. you're in a film room with a coach. So yeah. some of that's kind of interesting. They have ESPN voices. So there'll be a bunch of uh, ESPN personalities if you're into that sort of thing to no. sit there and listen to those people gab away. Um, Feinbaum. There's a guy. He's, uh, he's huge <laughs> in the SEC in the region. He's a talk show host. He has his own channel. on the SC, He's on the SEC network. Yeah, yeah. So if you're an SEC fan, you know who he is. You'll listen to some – that guy talk. So so you watch it on your TV, but yes. then you pull up all these other sites online? All these, no, they're channels. They're all channels right. on ESPN. So they're so ESPN like, Channel 14. There's ESPN News, ESPN2, ESPN. And then you have to go buy all of these as If add-ons. you don't have them. Yeah. yeah. So they're all there. Uh, the one with the Feinbaum Film Room on the SEC Network, one of the commentators that they'll be talking with is a guy, a former player named Booger McFarland. So there's Pardon? some Booger McFarland. Okay. It's his name. He's great that way. Horrible. Also, Sounds of the Game. 
right, on ESPN Classic and and then streaming online. All it is, the game. There's no commentator. There's all that sounds heavenly. Just listen to the the, the sounds of the game as it Mm -hmm. goes on. Uh, Command Center will have multi-camera angles all on the same screen, kind of a Bloomberg news effect. Wow. If you have seizures, you may not want to go to that channel. It might might. trigger something. Um, Hometown Radio, so that's on uh, streaming online. You can watch the game with either Alabama or Clemson radio play-by-play. So you don't even have to listen to ESPN's presentation. You can just listen to the way you want to hear it. Um, A data center on-screen graphic content ranging from analytics, real-time drive charts, all the stats and stuff you want. And also they'll have a Skycam Skycam channel, so you can just watch the Skycam zip up and down the, the field. Wow. And then ESPN radio, Spanish, television, radio, and it's, oh, what, it's, what it's if, too much. What if you don't like football? You can watch anything else you want tonight. <laughs> well, then all... go to that coach's film room. They'll be watching Rogue One. Yeah. They'll go, ah, this that's game's so boring. Turn on a movie. How, boy, that's a lot of money. They're, they're, I guess this is the future yeah. of the big games. Yeah. This isn't, I mean, well, even sounds that, like the Super Bowl. Even just event TV. Yeah. They're trying to do this with the Grammys, with the They could Academy do it with the inauguration, for heaven's sakes. Well, they could. That's great. I think tonight we'll be watching The Crown. <laughs> I have a feeling. No, my boys will be all over that. Boy, I wish we had all those channels, though. We will have to look for Kalani Sataki as well. That'd be cool. I think how fun to have all these coaches ripping apart. I wouldn't have made that play. That's a crazy play. Anyway, we will take a break, my friends, and uh, come back. When we come back, we're talking New Year's resolutions. Are they good or bad for you? Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's a new year. Most people are out there probably, right, celebrating. But as part of the New Year's celebration, many of us are making new goals and resolutions in hope that they can have a great uh, change this year. And um, you might want to look out a little bit. Have you ever considered that maybe making a New Year's resolution might actually be bad for you. Our next guest, Jessica Lamb Shapiro, is the author of Promised Land, My Journey Through America's Self-Help Culture. And on her website, you can you can go to her website, promisedlandbook.com, and find out more information about uh, her work there. But she's here to talk to us about uh, maybe it's, it's a little unrealistic to think that you might be able to quickly change a goal that may have taken you years to create Jessica Lamb Shapiro, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, thank you for having me. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, New Year to you. Great having you on the show. So what, what do you think? Would you say New Year's resolutions are good for you or bad for you? Well, the statistics are pretty bleak. Um, I found out that uh, 8% of people uh, stick with their New Year's resolutions, which is a 92% attrition rate. That's <laughs> wow. not very good. No. And the people who do quit, quit after just one week. Wow. So, that's that's yeah, really that's not good. Really much worse than I thought it was. <laughs> yeah. What is our deal? So, but we do it every year, too. I mean, and I we guess we all have hope. Yeah, which is, you know, of course, a lovely thing. But, you know, between December 31st and January 1st, what changes? 
Right. You know, you're putting a lot of stock <laughs> into a date on the calendar. And I think that that's probably why a lot of people fail is that they don't necessarily put other systems in place. Um, and they just think that somehow magically, you know, they're going to be able to do this week what they weren't able to do last week. And so just kind of the whole concept of it is pretty unrealistic. It's it's true. And we I think we all kind of know that in our gut. Right. I mean, I right. guess eight percent of us don't. But it seems like eight, those those are probably the really motivated eight percent that had the best grades anyway and, you know, are running marathons. Right. Those people. <laughs> those that type but what about uh the rest of us what what have you what have you found i mean i know in your book um about uh kind of the uh, what's the, you have a really great name for it kind of the the um the culture of self help there's a lot of us that are really prone to kind of continually trying the next self help movement well it's a really founding idea of American culture um, that we're capable of improvement um, and we're capable of, you know, changing classes and, you know, being better than your father and mother were. And, that, you know, that's a really lovely idea. And I think that's true to some extent. Um, but I think we don't think a lot about how and how much work really goes into it. Um, you know, so I, I think that's probably where people go wrong with New Year's resolutions. And a lot of self-help is that they don't necessarily have a plan and they don't necessarily want to do the work. Um, and again, as you said in the introduction, these are habits that are years in the making um, and are very difficult to stop. You know, quitting smoking, losing weight, like those are not easy things. Um, otherwise, we'd just be doing them automatically. Yeah, yeah, we, they'd probably be done already. Is is there exactly. also any research um, about tying it to a specific date? I mean, the mere just the mere fact that there's a New Year's resolution and we're starting on this date, it seems like that might create some more stress for us. Well, the biggest downside of the New Year's resolution and tying it to the date of the New Year is that if you do fail, you have to wait an entire year before trying again. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, it's going to take you a really long time if you only make one attempt every year. So I think, you know, if you do want to make a resolution, you really should start now. You know, you could start any day and just understand that, like, if you don't stick with something, you can try again the next week or the next day. And it's not necessarily a good idea to tie um, your entire progress as a human being to one date on the calendar that only comes up once every year. Oh, so true. Come on. Why have we not thought of that? I mean, because, too, you, I don't know. it's very common sense. You know? it, 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 it seems like it, except we and we put so much in it. And maybe it's just we need to believe we can do it. And yet, like you're saying, we put all the energy into the date and the time and the resolution. And we maybe put more energy in there than actually figuring out why we do it anyway. Why do we keep doing that ineffective thing anyway? No, I think that's a really good point. You know, sometimes unless you look at the root of certain habits, you're not really going to be able to change them. Um, you know, it's it's like just dealing with the symptom of a problem instead of the cause of the problem. Man. Okay, let's do this. Let's take a break, come back, and I'd love you to teach us what we could do to make uh, to make a better approach. You started telling us a little bit, maybe, you know, start, go as far as you can, but you can always restart again, and we could keep at the goal and kind of uh, and, and kind of chip away at it. We're going to find out more from Jessica Lamb Shapiro about New Year's resolutions and um, also more about her book, Promised Land, My Journey Through America's Self-Help Culture. Stick with us, folks. Uh, there is promise. 
But uh, the promise might be that you got to change and learn why you're struggling changing. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Friends to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Jessica Lamb Shapiro, who's the author of the book Promised Land, My Journey Through America's Self-Help Culture. And she reminds us that uh, unrealistic resolutions are fated to fail. She wrote a wonderful article um, entitled uh, New Year's Resolutions Are Bad for You. And, and in there, she just cites the fact that uh, having a date, having a time, and making a promise that you're going to do something might not be um, the real key to to creating a lasting change. Jessica Lamb Shapiro, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Great having you here. One of the things you say in the article um, is you you quote Steve Salerno, who's the author of Sham, How the Self-Help Movement Made America Helpless. And one of the things that you bring bring up is just simply the act of making a resolution may, um, may, I guess, overwhelm the the reality of having to do it. I made the resolution, and a lot of us might feel like that's kind of enough. Well, one of the things that I found when researching my book, um, when people buy a self-help book, which is, you know, a similar thing to making a resolution is something where you are making a commitment to change, they start to feel better. I mean, generally when people in the first place decide that they need help or they want to change something, it's because they're not feeling great about where they are or something about their life. And that creates a bad feeling. And then when you go out and just the act of purchasing a book actually makes you feel better. <laughs> so a lot of people never do anything beyond purchasing the book. And they purchase the book, they're like, you know, nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> and it just sits on their shelf. And, you know, that's kind of the extent of it. Um, I also found a statistic that said that most people never get past page 20 of a self-help book. And they attributed that to the same phenomenon. As you read about 20 pages, and you start to feel better, and you start to think, oh, I can really do this. But then you don't actually follow through, and you don't do the work that you need to do um, to actually achieve the goal that you're trying to achieve, because really what you wanted was to feel better, right. not to achieve the goal. It's so true. And I I mean, as an author, don't get me wrong, keep buying the books. But, yeah, in, right. the, <laughs> but in the end, there's more than buying a book. And there is, I mean, I've done it all the time where I'll I'll hear a book of a book. I'll go chase it down. I'll get it in. In fact, I have a book floating around in Amazon somewhere that never made it to my house, and I'm like, oh, I'm too tired to go find it. But um, it was a really important buy when I bought it. it. That's, I guess, one of the problems with this too is if we have an addiction, if we have a chronic problem, we could easily just maybe transfer our addiction or our chronic behavior of you know, a chronic unhealthy behavior to just the constant pursuit of fixing it. So then, then we oh, get absolutely. the high from fixing I mean, it or pretending to. Exactly. I mean, people who have addictions have addictive personalities. And, you know, I'm sure it's better to be addicted to self-help than it is, you know, to be addicted to cigarettes or to be an alcoholic. Um, but it's interesting that the behavior doesn't really change. It's just the substance that changes. Oh, wow. You're on to something here. But Jessica, you're you're totally you're now you're 
I don't know, you're going to make a lot of people mad because they're not going to feel like they have a promise anymore because they're supposed to be getting better. We're constantly supposed to get better. Well, I mean, you can get better. And that's the thing. I, you know, I think that people just need to take a little bit more responsibility um, for their actions and not look externally all the time. I mean, it's wonderful to buy self-help books. um, But, you know, I found I read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And I found most of what I read to be pretty common sense and pretty logical. Um, this wasn't really mind-blowing, earth-shattering, secret knowledge, um, you know, that, that nobody has access to. It's actually quite common sense. And so I think one of the wonderful things about self-help books is that they can remind us of things that are common sense that um, we might forget in our day-to-day lives. But, you know, to some extent, we also already know what we need to do, Um and, and so it's not really always necessary to look to an external source. And I think the danger of looking to an external source for help is that you then transfer all of the power and all of the work onto that external source, you know, almost like it's magic. And it's going to magically transform things for you when, in fact, like you do actually need to do some work yourself. Well, you also transfer all of the blame if it doesn't work. Like, like you know, I, you know, I tried Jenny Craig and it just didn't work. But... Well, you know, an interesting you know I mean? thing about some self-help books is that they transfer the blame to you. Oh, interesting. I read a lot of self-help programs which said, you know, if this doesn't work for you, it's because you don't believe <laughs> enough or you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. Um, and I actually found that to be kind of disturbing, um, you know, because people who turn to self-help books, they want to change. And, you know, they're probably in a relatively difficult place. So I just found it kind of ethically suspect to then go ahead and blame them for not being able to change. That that is interesting, too. Yeah, but we'll promise you it will work, but, you know, if it doesn't work, it's your fault. It's your fault. Um, Right, exactly. And it's, I guess that's the thing is uh, that that could then become the emotional trauma that we keep reinflicting that keeps us stuck in these bad patterns. What are some other things we could do to make sure if we're going to set a New Year's resolution what what would enhance it? What what you you said for example, most of us already know what we need to be doing. Um, how could we go in and, and identify in our heart what we need to be doing? Well, you know, one of the things that I thought about a lot while I was writing the book um, is that self help is very focused on success. Um, and I started thinking, well, what about failure? You know, what is good about failure? And what can we learn from failure? And I actually feel that considering failure, um, you know, to be more specific, considering obstacles, like if you want to go on a diet, to actually consider, like, well, what are what are some challenges that are going to come up? Instead of just thinking about the successes and the things that you should do, you know, to actually try to anticipate what might go wrong will actually help you when those things do go wrong because we're not perfect people. You know, we do mess up all the time. Um, and to be able to integrate that into the process of change, I think actually will give you the best chance of success. Um, and so I think, you know, in a funny way, failure and success are actually really related um, in a way that a lot of people don't necessarily want to acknowledge. Interesting. Yeah. So that's why maybe not just tying it to a date or a, or a resolution, tie it to a process. This year, I'm going to I'm going to figure out the code success and failure that will lead me to help deal with this issue. Yeah, I mean, there's this famous Samuel Beckett quote that I love, and it's, I'm not going to quote it exactly, but it's something like, fail again, fail better. 
Mm. Um, and I've always found that so inspiring. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this idea of failing better is such a wonderful goal because you do see the progress and you do see the incremental success, but it's much more about the process than the final result. Yeah. That's a great mentality, isn't it? And yet it's so, you know, we, yeah, we kind of believe in the silver bullet where you buy the book, you know, you read it and you're all of a sudden you're changed. Yeah. But that's not how life is. Life keeps going, you right. know. Um, you know, even if you make a lot of money and you lose a lot of weight or achieve whatever goal you want, there's still the week after that and the week after that and other things come up in life. And there's always going to be, you know, challenges. Mm. I think sort of movies and self-help books act like once you achieve a goal, you sort of lock everything in. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, okay, I'm, I'm locked in at this weight. I'm locked in at this life. And, you know, we all know that's just not how life works. And so we do kind of constantly need to be reevaluating um, you know, and keeping to work at things in order for them to succeed over time as opposed to, you know, in one moment. Mm, I love that. I, I also focus a lot on maybe more of kind of the intangible principle like like that, like learning. It might be better mm-hmm. to set a New Year's resolution of learning than it than it is to, you know, say I'm going to read a book a week. Um, yeah. Just because the learning you you can take with you forever and you're less critical about your learning than you are about if you read a book every week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was a guy that I read about who was a Puritan um, who at the beginning of each year would make 70 resolutions and he would review them every single week. Um, and I, you know, found it funny because 70, religi- 70 resolutions is just an absolute insane <laughs> number of resolutions. Yeah. That's a lot. Reviewing every week, but but it's just I thought you know what he's going to get at least ten of them done. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean you got to. It's like cast a wide net, keep reviewing them every week, (laughs) and you know don't don't be so focused on one thing, you know, and the ultimate success or failure of that one thing. That's so true. Well, Jessica, we appreciate you and your great book. Again, um, they can find the book on your website. Uh, It was it's. It's called promisedlandbook.com. Is that the website? That is the website, yes. Jessica Lamb Shapiro, the name of the book, Promised Land, My Journey Through America's Self-Help Culture. Thank you so much, Jessica, and uh, Happy New Year. You bet. Uh, Happy Happy New New Year. Interesting stuff. Great opportunity for all of us, but be real, right? Let's be real about what's going on. You, it's already in you. You know what you need to do. Now break it down a little bit more into... Some more accountability on your part. Um, You don't need to beat yourself up to get ahead. Interesting stuff. Interesting book. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be visiting our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's going on in their neck of the woods. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. 13 minutes away from the top of the hour, which means it's time to go visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, who will be taking over in just a few, in just those 13 minutes. Spencer and Jerem, hello, gentlemen. The mantle of BYU Radio will rest upon (laughs) our shoulders. Wow. It sounds so serious when you say it. Like the cloak from Elijah to Elisha. Oh, my heavens. Will fall from Brother Townsend to (laughs) Elders. Oh my, heavens. oh, my heavens. Wow. Goodness. I just got... And a chariot of fire shall carry us through the hour. This is no ordinary Monday, Matt, clearly. No, no obviously. <laughs> National Championship football tonight. Yeah. 
We've got Jerem playing Rammstein, the German rock band, Du Hast. Okay. That was what we were listening to right Was Here we it? Go. Wow. <laughs> so you had to go from that darkness to the light, and that's why you went all spiritual on us. You remember that song from the 90s uh, from a German band? I, my mom wouldn't let me listen to those. Okay. Du, yeah, yeah. du hast. Du hast. Du hast is, um, That's what's going on down here. So is that, that's what happens. Before we go to you, you guys mm-hmm. are pumping up with some German rock some, music from the sometimes, 90s. Yeah, it depends, uh, depends, depends on, on the day. day. There's, there's a lot of juice today. BYU's coming off a win in men's hoops. It's the national championship game yeah. for college uh, football, so yeah, we're excited. Did you guys? Uh, do you have a plan tonight? Are we? Are you going to go watch all of ESPN's twenty-four channel offerings? By, no. the, by the way, Kalani Sataki is involved. In I know yeah, he's yeah. big. I, I won't be watching all twenty-four channels or whatever. It Probably is. nineteen. Or but so. we will be watching Kalani Sataki's role with ESPN News. He's on a panel of coaches discussing and analyzing the game as it happens with a moderator. That is cool. That is really cool. Because all these coaches are going to have a different view, but some of them are probably a little perturbed that they're not there. Wouldn't you be frustrated? Or, or that they just get a chill. I don't know. I don't there's know. There's two sides of that. Maybe there's food. Maybe. You think? I bet you there's food. There's bet, probably food. There's probably refreshments. That's why Kalani's there. If Kalani's involved, I guarantee there is food. <laughs> there's got to be food. <laughs> yes. So it's going to be Kalani from BYU, but Baylor's coach, Colorado, NC State, Syracuse, Boston College. The coaches sit there. Is this – this seems like bigger than the Super Bowl in a way. I mean, ESPN is going all out. They, yeah, they do, they do go all out. The rating won't be even close to no. that. But, yeah, they, the ESPN makes it fun. Different, different offerings. If you don't want to watch the traditional broadcast, you have other options. Do you guys want to, do you guys want to pick a team? Have you got a, you got a team? I want Clemson to win, but I think Alabama will win. I mm. think Alabama's defense is too good. See, and I think Clemson has the offense just enough to score on Alabama, and I think Clemson's defense – will really create some problems for Alabama's eh, offense. So you're They've going got a Clemson. young quarterback, yeah. and Alabama's dealing with a situation where they have an offensive coordinator who has taken over for one week. Right. And it's Steve Sarkeesian, the, the other, BYU alum. The other BYU connection. Now, that's that's strange, right? It, what, what really, Extremely really? Extremely strange. Why? Why are they doing Never that? Never heard of it. This is a national championship. Because Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban... Yeah. Don't get along. Oh, is that That's it? That's why. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Problem solved. They they had they had some issues there and uh apparently Lane Kiffin wasn't focused enough, so he was uh they they mutually agreed. I was on that. <laughs> uh that they would uh, part ways before the national title game, which is extremely odd. Mm. But Alabama fans seem to be okay with it because their offense has been or or was just kind of mediocre like Spencer said in the yeah. semifinal. And I mean, is it good or bad to have Steve? What if Steve loses his first game? I don't think it's on game? his head. That's I mean, true. Hey, well, hey, I, I didn't. Well, depends. What if he makes a bad call? Yeah. What if he? Yeah, if he not assess whether it's not his fault yet. Like if he if he opts to throw a pass from the three yard line with under a minute to play and it's mm. intercepted mm. and the game is decided mm. by that play. Yeah. A la the Seahawks and Patriots in the Super Bowl a few years ago. That would be bad. Yeah, well, let's see how it plays out. He, this isn't Steve Sarkeesian's first rodeo. He was the head coach at Washington, yeah. USC. Uh, he's been with the Raiders. So he, he has plenty uh, experience. But at this level, in this moment, 
this is an opportunity for oh. uh, Steve Sarkeesian. Plus, so we're excited like, for the former Cougar quarterback. Well, plus, like, yeah, there's 90 cameras in the stadium. He's going to get picked up from every angle. Yeah. yeah he looks HD. good. Yeah. Let's just hope that his fingers stay away from his nose. Oh, boy. <laughs> that happened. That had, I heard that happened. I, I was going to look up <laughs> yeah. the video, and then I'm like, why? <laughs> I didn't know that still happened with people, but apparently yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're being introduced to the nation. Oh. <laughs> he wasn't thinking. He they was. Gotta let people know. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I it, wish it, they could. It isn't easy. What's on your show then? I'm. Uh, you'll be covering this stuff. Yes, it's we... not a good situation. Oh, oh, oh Jerem, nice snuck it words, in there, man. A little snot there. Nicely done. It's not to be used. Uh, we are discussing the Book of Eli as it pertains to BYU basketball today, Matt. Mm, the Book of Eli. Yes, notably Elijah Bryant from the Apocrypha. Yeah, that to nope. We're not going there. Elijah Bryant. Elijah Bryant. Elijah Bryant. We it's thought would an be, empty chair for him. We thought would be a key contributor for BYU basketball this year, but his return has been delayed because of uh, an unexpected surgery and the recovery has lasted a long time. They tried to rush him back and it didn't turn out well. Mm. He scored 17 points on Saturday night and looked like the player that we have heard about over the past year. So what kind of a difference do BYU fans expect him to make as the Cougars try and make an NCAA tournament run? That's cool. That's cool. The 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 elected one, the chosen one, yes. has arrived. He will he has returned That's good. to help the Cougars in conference play. ESPN's Trevor Maddox will join us as well. Who does he have winning the national title game tonight? And uh, what were the services for Lavelle Edwards like uh, mm. from his standpoint over the weekend? We will weigh in on that. We uh, attended the public memorial service Friday as well. And if you missed, uh, if you were local and couldn't go, we'll uh, show you uh, some images and uh, you'll hear some sound from uh, the memorial Friday. It was fantastic. Yeah, You guys. Jim McMahon showed up. Andy Reid, Kansas City Chiefs head coach. Norm Chow, long time oh, wow. coach here. Jim McMahon made it. So it was, uh, it was quite the reunion over the weekend. That's cool. That's cool. Man. You lose a legend, but, you know, you do have Kalani Sataki on ESPN. That we do. Yeah. Tonight. Yeah, exactly. Not the same. And, and how did Jimmer Fredette do Ooh. in the Chinese basketball All-Star game? Did I see a picture of him dunking? Did he dunk in the All-Star game? Well, he, he says, I rarely dunk, but he there was, I don't know, I just read something in the news today, that and he was dunking. I don't know why. Yeah, he dunked in the All-Star game? It's illegal in China. Right? No, is it? It's illegal to dunk. Oh, never mind. I think you're thinking no, of high school. I'm, I'm you're, thinking of. Uh, you're thinking junior high. Yeah, don't dunk at the junior high yeah. hoops. One dunk per game, I think. That's is right. The, is the rule a dunk? Yeah, you have your one female dunk per game. That was it. Okay, guys, you ready for your show? You got to go. I know you got to stretch out. Get ready. Yep. We got to listen to more German uh, music. Yeah, go we'll get pumped to up by Ramstein. <laughs> good luck, guys. <laughs> oh, you're good. Knock him, knock him dead. All right, you got it, man. Everybody, stay tuned. Five minutes away from the big show, you're gonna want to you're gonna want to hear them because if they get pumped up with the Ramstein music, they're on fuego. It's it's incredible. Sad news out of California. If you didn't hear, the thunderstorms um, are, have wreaked havoc throughout northern Nevada and California over the weekend, causing heavy rains, mudslides, and the demise of one of the region's most famous giant sequoias. The Pioneer Cabin Tree, described by Los Angeles Times as one of the uh, uh, Calaveras County's oldest residents, fell to the ground. This is that tree, that big, large redwood tree um, in the the Calaveras Big Tree State Park. 
that had a tunnel through it. You see it in all the pictures. That tree that you used to be able to drive your car through has uh, been destroyed. It fell down because of the rains. It's sad. It lasts thousands of years or whatever, hundreds of years, and now it's gone. Sad. One storm. One. <sighs> so, I mean, Utah, there's all these arches. At any point, one of those arches could collapse, and then you've lost. Something. It is raining outside. I know. You've got to be careful. Take, don't take those things for granted. So uh, that's sad. Sad news. You know, sure, there's a ball game tonight, but you still have to – you still lost one of the oldest sequoias around. Um, one of the things that, you know, we like to talk about on the show and end the show with is a hero story. And you heard about the shooting in Fort Lauderdale Airport, um, but there's a hero that emerged from the shooting. Um, Listen to this story. Annika Dean, and the story, by the way, comes to us through the Miami Herald. Annika Dean was waiting for her luggage at Fort Lauderdale Airport when she heard gunshots and turned to see a man walking toward her with a gun in his hand. As a teacher in Broward County Schools, Dean had received disaster training. But during the school shooting drills, there had always been somewhere to hide, right? You could go to a closet. You could go under a desk. Except in the shooting at Fort Lauderdale Airport, there was nowhere to go because you were just in the luggage area, the carousel, the carousels at the airport. So there she just dove to the ground, tried the best she could to hide behind one of the carousels, I guess. But with a gunman just 30 feet from her, Dean had nowhere to go. There was no way I could have escaped, she said. I would have been right in his path if I had tried to evacuate through the doors. Instead, Dean dove to the ground next to a luggage cart, kept her eyes on the carpet, afraid to look up. People all around her had dropped to the floor. Dean stayed quiet and uh, and still, but a few passengers shouted all these things at the shooter. In the end, what happened was amazing. A man identified by the Sun Centennial as Tony Bartoshowitz uh, ended up coming over, putting his body over hers, and covering her up and telling her, I've got you, I'll cover you, and he took care of her and protected her from being shot. That guy was on his way to go to a cruise, and uh, he actually hasn't been reached because he made it to his cruise. But Tony stepped in and put his life in harm's way for somebody he didn't even know. That person, by the way, a teacher. So don't think that... uh, these horrible moments that we talk about on the radio, they, they make a deal. They make a big difference. They're a big deal in people's lives. They also create heroes. And uh, we want to just have a special shout out to Tony Bartoszewicz. He did what he could to, to be there and was willing, really, I guess, to die for another person that he didn't even know. That is a hero, my friends. Again, you don't have to take a bullet to be the hero. The hero that your family needs is just you. Being happy, healthy, making it through life and in the healthiest way possible. Sometimes you might be asked to step up like Tony did, but most of the time it's just being a good person, looking out for each other. That's the show, my friends. We can't do it without you. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more information to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier, happier lives. Until tomorrow, let's watch out for each other and let's uh, let's try to lift each other as well. We'll talk tomorrow.